power on. Accessing historical database. Year 2020. The tech giants become aware of the greatest threat to their corporatist domination. An obscure science and tech podcast becomes a major factor in a peaceful open source revolt against the military Silicon Valley industrial complex. The podcast, Sovereign Tech. Its host, Dr. Brian Sovereign. The tech giants try to stop Sovereign Tech. They can't. Oh, it was a dark and stormy night. Well, I'll say, I mean, it kind of looks like one. Wouldn't you say, Alan? It's definitely stormy. Yeah, definitely stormy. Not too dark yet. Not too dark. It's but getting there. It's getting there. It's getting there. So, Ellen, of course, Ellen Sovereign here for another episode Woo! of Sovereign Tech. I'm not Ellen Sovereign, but she is. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're Brian Sovereign. That's right. And uh, someday we'll tell that story. But we've got great. <laughs> we've got some great stuff to get into in this episode. Uh, of course, it's always great having you on. Listeners always get so excited every time that you come on board. You've been on vacation. Uh, a bit the past how long has it been a month it's it's been yeah a little over a month maybe closer to six weeks right but you got to be going you, you got to be going back yeah you're going to be doing a little remote stuff Oy, yeah <laughs> it's been great being on vacation it was actually a difficult transition like going from full-time student to having nothing to do every day and by nothing i mean i had to basically decide which hobby I was going to take part in every day. <laughs> well, I have to say, the paintings look amazing. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I've already made a full set. I'm working on a, another one that's like four times as big. Remarkable. Remarkable. <laughs> Thanks. And, and I can imagine, you could probably hear my squeaky chair. At some point, we got to get this fixed. We got to get out the, uh, uh, the WD-40. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of the essential man tools. That and duct tape. Yeah. They, both of those can really <laughs> solve just about anything, along with a Swiss Army knife and you're in pretty good shape. So, but anyway, um, yeah, you've been enjoying, well, you know, so you're on vacation. Yeah. And, and every time you're on, it's, it's become a, a minor tradition to, uh, no, we're not going to talk about aliens in this episode. <laughs> or at least well, don't not. say we won't, because no, we might. We'll we, find a way. We might. We just might. <laughs> um, actually, we've got a very interesting main story. Uh, and then we're going to get into, well, we might talk up a little sexy. Got got some interesting stories, a bunch of little factoids that I kind of put together but we'll talk about that a little later. And then we got some fun stuff to get into. Maybe we're going to talk about, since you're on vacation, I'm going to ask you what books you've been reading. But maybe later we'll get into what games have you been playing oh. when we get into Gaming Grid. We're, we'll <laughs> do some segments here. Maybe we'll get in a little movie talk. Uh, because, wow, did uh, I recently introduced you to Brazil. Yes. Uh, wow. Wow. Yeah, right. <laughs> it took me a solid 24 hours to decompress 
from that movie. Yeah, and we've been talking about it for a good 48 or more. Uh, That's a hell of a film. Yeah, well, it's been marinating in my subconscious. So let's see what comes up during this conversation. It might be different. It's an interesting thing for a vegan to say. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Um, Well, I mean, let's start getting into it. So, so what have, what have you what have you been reading? What's, what's well, been on your radar? Uh, I've been listening to audiobooks ever since I, you know, well, while I'm painting, you know, right. I can uh, dual task. By, it's a great time to do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I don't know that I want to mention like the Audible original that I was listening to because that I mean, yeah, 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 we don't have to go down that road. Yeah, I mean, if you listen to Audible, you know, like the originals, they're they're okay, but they're, they're not many that are great. Mm-hmm. Um, but the main book that I've been listening to, oh, and I, I also want to mention, because I forget this every time we talk about books. What? Um, but there's a book that I've been steadily reading over the past few months, and it's an actual book. It's not an audiobook, but it's one that you picked up by chance. I picked it up off your desk and started reading it because the title was so titillating. I had to <laughs> read it. So this book is called Isaac Asimov's Treasury of Humor. <laughs> And it's fucking brilliant. It's like every joke you could ever imagine. And he puts them all into segments, uh, like different chapters for different types of jokes. And he even has his own like personal commentary and he'll tell stories about how he learned this joke or what it means to him or something. Um, so I really love that book. And you, sometimes I'll be reading it while you're next to me and I'll just burst out laughing. <laughs> and you'll ask me to tell you the joke. You're very good at telling the jokes, by the way. Oh, I mean, thank you. I mean, really, like, I mean, I mean, Asimov, of course, is, was a Jew like myself and has a has a specific flair of and there's just something to a way a, a Jew tells a joke or compiles a joke. even. But I must say, you do a hell of a job mimicking <laughs> that. I mean, you, you might as well be a Jew yourself. Like, well, I mean, it, you. it, it's it really I take that as a compliment. Well, I, yeah, <laughs> I was going to make a comment, but. I'm going to hold back. Well, it's ironic because the the other book, the audiobook that I've been listening to is actually one of the great courses on Audible. Um it's an introduction to Judaism. Oh, with Shy Cherry. Yes. Yeah, well, I'm a big fan of this. This is a tremendous uh, uh piece. I, I mean, look, I'm I'm a Kohenim. I'll just I'll just say it here. You you're a Jew now. So Oh, thank you. I'll do a little <laughs> blessing. We're good. Okay. All right. Look, keep going. So so yeah. Uh, well, let me let me let's talk about Isaac Asimov quick first. So there is a sequel to that book, which you haven't gotten to yet. Not yet. Yeah, I, I bought this because it's just one of the Isaac Asimov books you can't find in an electronic format. There's actually quite a few that you can't. Um, so I get books scanned. People know that I do this. Uh, and so I bought it originally to get it scanned. You loved it so much. And you've just been holding on to it for months and reading it for months. And it is a massive tome. I mean, people got to understand it really can take months to read. It. Yeah, there are hundreds and hundreds of jokes in there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I was like, okay, fine. You know what? Keep it. And so I bought another copy. Which I loved because it's so precious to have that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I bought you, a, a, I bought, of course, two copies yeah, of you the, bought the sequel. sequel. Uh, one for you and then one that, you know, I sent off to get scanned and whatever. Um, but yeah, it is hilarious. The, the jokes are, are just pure dynamite. I mean, Asimov was absolutely one of a kind. Uh, you know, I, a lot of people say that and, they, and technically everybody's one of a kind. But he's a one of a kind amongst one of a kind. Uh, he's <laughs> something line. special, all right. Yeah. I mean, the majority of people you ask them to tell you a joke, they can't even remember a single one. Yeah. yeah. And he's got this whole book. <laughs> Amazing, and he probably remembered yeah. half of them too. Uh, well, anyway, so 
Okay, so now you're reading. So, so there's that. That's how that ended up. And, you know, I got to admit, okay, as much as I scan these books, when you scan them, I mean, I can share them easily, but then there's something to the fact that, oh, what's this on, you know, the studio desk, you know, on Brian's desk, and you can just pick it up and start reading it. You can't exactly do that with an ebook because there's nothing to entice you. Yeah. Right. And uh, I've done that with a couple books. I just look at yeah. the cover and the title sounds good and I, I'll just start reading it. Right. Yeah, exactly. So it's one of those things that I don't think, I, I really don't think the bookstore is ever going to go away regardless of what scenario we I find ourselves not. in. Yeah, yeah. At least Barnes and Noble. I don't know about the little mom and pop shops. Well, I'll tell you, I mean, I think that's a reality uh, or an unfortunate, and I do say unfortunate, unfortunate reality of the uh, constant situations we find ourselves in where I think out of all of this really only the large chains and franchises are going to survive. I you mean, mean as far as the pandemic? Pandemic and more. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I really I think only the franchises are going to are going to be able to survive all of this. Uh, we'll yeah. call it crises, but whatever people want to want to slice it as. But yeah, that that's my thought on it. So at the very least, like you said, Barnes and Noble for sure. Yeah, I'm still hoping that some of the used bookstores hold out because it's so magical just walking into like a used bookstore that has it's run by some private owner you know and you just go in there and there's like piles of books some of them are unsorted but there's like the small sections and uh, all sorts of books that you would never find at a a new bookstore yeah yeah absolutely well i mean that's part of why the reason i do what i do is because these books are out of print i mean some of them are rare some of them cost i mean not to say that i always pay it but i mean like ridiculous (laughs) amounts of money you know uh to get your hands on these you are a savvy shopper i hey you know (laughs) i do what i have to do uh, or hell, I've even had Sovereign Tech listeners like buy the books, you know, for me and then and, and send them to me and everything, which is, I'm always uh, very pleased about. But um, anyway, speaking of uh, old books, uh, but one that is far from out of print, of course, uh, you have been listening to Introduction to Judaism, one of the great courses by uh, Shai Cherry. Uh, this is a classic. This is one of the original great courses. That yeah, it's I ever like remember. from 2007. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can remember when I was working my last like technician job at, at a tech company um, listening to this then. Uh, I mean, it was just that, you know, it was that, that amazing. So, I mean, this is a classic, but I still think, and I've listened to it many times over. I still think it's absolutely worthwhile, positively timeless uh, in what gets laid, laid out in it. Um, but, uh, and of course, what I meant by a book, not out of print, I meant Torah, but regardless um, yeah, tell me about this. I mean, what have you, what do you feel you've been, you know, what what have you taken from it? How, how do you feel about the the great course overall? Kind of a cheat, not really a book, but go ahead. <laughs> okay, or maybe it's not a book. But I'm it's still about a book. That's for learning sure. plenty of things. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's an audio book about a book that's hundreds or thousands of years old. Right. Um, I I love it. I mean, there are parts that are very technical. Uh. As far as the religion goes, that mm-hmm. that I've never experienced because I didn't grow up as a Jew. Right. Um, I never went to synagogue. I, I didn't learn about the Torah. Uh, <laughs> well said. <laughs> Sorry, that's how he says it every time yeah. in the book. The Torah. Yeah. <laughs> Some things he says, he says them in a little bit of an odder way than I've ever heard, but it doesn't matter. But go ahead. Um. One thing that I did enjoy, it was just, it was something that helped put together some puzzle pieces that have, 
I, I didn't really get... So, maybe I should explain. Um, there was there was this video that I watched of Harlan Ellison speaking about a movie or a book or something like that, but he was wearing this shirt, and he really wanted to make sure that everybody saw what the shirt said. Uh-huh. And it said, 50% cotton, 50% Shroud of Turin. <laughs> and I thought he was just being cheeky, like, you, you know, the Shroud of Turin is a... It's the long linen roll that looks like it has the face of Jesus on it. And right. some people debate whether or not it was the shroud that he was wrapped in when he was buried. Yes. Um, but then I was listening to this course on Judaism. And I don't know if it's like a, a mitzvah or something. Like you're not supposed to wear cotton and linen. You can't weave them together. You're not together. supposed to weave them together. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So <laughs> then I got it. <laughs> I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a great joke. It's a great gag. Um, yeah, I, I mean, this is the you know it, it's amazing. Well, I, again, I think his great course is, is brilliant. It's long too. It's, it is it's very one of long. The longer yes. ones, um, but he covers thousands of years of history. Um, and and it, it yeah, it's it's really an impressive. I mean, there's things that I don't necessarily agree with him on. I think some of his takes on on Kabbalah uh, are a little off, but I mean that's the nature of Judaism as a whole. Is, is basically there's some things we don't agree on. Well, <laughs> one point that he makes over and over again is that there isn't Judaism. There's Judaisms. Right. There's many different sects and different beliefs, um, and they're all essentially different. Like there's Maimonides' view, and then there's yep. uh, the mystical Kabbalah view. Yeah, yeah, like your Isaac Lurias or uh, Abraham Avalafia, you go down the list. Yeah, I mean, and it's much more than, because I think a lot of, or there are quite a few people who probably know about, you know, Reform Judaism, Conservative Judaism, and Orthodox Judaism. Those are kind of the three big schools that you might run into in America, but it goes far beyond even that. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, and he does a pretty good job of, of covering a lot of it. There are other great, great courses uh, that that cover Judaism that I think are very worthwhile uh, that I know are on audible as well. But I mean, do you got anything else on that one? Um, Well, I'm looking forward to listening to the final chapter, which is about how Jews are the chosen people. But he puts a question mark at the end of that as if like he's questioning whether that's true or not. And I'm curious to hear this because, well, I, I just have so many questions as far as like Judaism seems to be the origin of a lot of, Christian beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only that, many other be- like the, the beginning, the, the Torah, the beginning of the Bible is essentially stories about Jewish people. Sure. Uh, so how did that get twisted into all these different religions that we have today? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. I mean, something that annoys me is like when you hear Judeo Christian, it's like, Oh, you're not even covering a tenth of the story. Like that doesn't explain shit. You know, uh, in fact, impressively, I think I caught an article the other day that actually said like Judeo-Islamic, and I was like, oh, thank you. Like finally, somebody you know appreciating the fact that Torah, regardless, I mean, and and granted, Christianity copies it somewhat verbatim, um, and in Islam, it's a bit different when you get into the Quran, but. You know, to, to recognize that there is this similar influence. Um, I mean, and, and I just I always hate it when it says Judeo-Christian because I feel like that's cutting out a lot of things. That's not even counting Baha'i. Uh, I mean, there, there's there's plenty of others that that all of that is a real wellspring from. 
Um, but I mean, do you feel like you're, I mean, clearly you already expressed like the shirt that Harlan Ellison was wearing. I mean, you're definitely understanding Judaism and Jewish people perhaps, uh, deeper. Uh, I, I mean, would you say like, this is something that anybody should be picking up and, you know, just to get that understanding? Oh, certainly. I think it's always a benefit to try and understand different belief systems or mm-hmm. the history of certain peoples and where they came from and how that led to who they are today. Right. Um, and I feel like Jewish people have a very strong connection with that history, or at least practicing Jews do. Right. Um, so it certainly would help for anybody to listen to this to have a better understanding of a certain percentage of the world's population. Yeah, it's an interesting perspective on history, too, I think. Yes, uh, uh, there's a lot of historical um, facts and, and stories that I'm learning yeah, as I, I listen to this. Sure, and I would argue it's, it's uh, you know, there's a saying that history is written by the victors. Well, there's one group that has passed down through thousands of years that, and, and, and again, obviously, ethnically, I'm Jewish, but, uh, well, this is history written by the losers, quite frankly. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, the Jews did not win very much. No, no. <laughs> And uh, and to get that alternative perspective, I think, is really, really key. Uh, in fact, I think Shai Cherry talks about he, he talked about Cyrus the Great, didn't he? Uh, yeah, Persia. he did. This is one of the most misunderstood chapters of history around the world. And that Christians get wrong. Americans generally get wrong. I've brought up many times. Because what did they call Cyrus the Great? If you listen to this, if you listen, or I mean, I, I know you did. I'm not saying if, but do you recall what they what they called uh, uh, Cyrus the Great? Was it like the Anointed or yes, the Messiah? Exactly, they called him the Messiah. Wait a minute, the Persians are the Iranians. They're the bad guys. Oh, <laughs> you know, King Leonidas and his 300. That was the great Western battle, and blah blah blah. And go jerk off. Oh, I get so mad when I. I mean, I, you know, I actually I love. I I, I dig Greek history. I dig like the movie 300, you know, the Frank Miller comic and all that stuff. That's all great and whatever, but that is a perspective of history. And it's one that's probably way off the fucking mark. Uh, and also it is not like the key pivotal moment in Western history, because if you are a Christian, the good guy is the Persians or the good guys are the Persians, not the Greeks. And, and oh, that just drives me up a fucking wall, <laughs> you know, because you only have, uh, I mean, there's there's some debate around the Sabbatean revolt, but you really you you basically only have two people that ever get called Messiah that that follow the you know the biblical tradition. We'll say that is Jesus, of course, by the Christians. Okay, which if you want to say it was done by early Jews, fine, whatever. We could have a big debate around that. You've been you've read another book over months that. Uh, that raises some interesting ideas, right? That, uh, that maybe, did you get to the point where they talk about John the Baptist? Yes. You've asked me that. Like five All right, times. I've asked you that before. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. so John the Baptist supposedly was the Messiah before Jesus. He, right. he was supposed to like bring in the Messiah. Yeah. Well, yeah, he was originally the Messiah. Then he got offed. And so his cousin, Jesus had to step in and was like, okay, fine. I'll be the Messiah. <laughs> that, that's the claim of the book Hiram Key Revisited, which I think we've talked about a few times uh, on the show. So anyway, that, that's that's an interesting idea. Uh, but anyway, Jesus and Cyrus the Great are the only two people that that any Jew has ever bothered to try and call, or minus the Sabbateans, you know, have ever really bothered to call Messiah. I mean, there there have been some others. Been there's been some little cases. There's actually a woman who had been called Messiah, which is relative to the Sabbatean movement. But that 
that's a whole other thing. The main figures that we know of that the Bible, even if you're a Christian, you know, if you want to accept old and new Testament, the only two people ever called in the Bible, Messiah. there are two people called Messiah. It's not just Jesus. Cyrus is the other one, but then you have this stupid, sorry, I get, I get really hot about this. You have this, this stupid Christian concept that somehow Islam or that the Iranians are evil or that whoever, you know, the Persian empire is evil. The Greeks were the fucking heroes. That's absolute horseshit. I mean, it's just, it's just, it, it's unbiblical, quite frankly. Anyway, I'm going to shut up about that. <laughs> well, so we do get a lot of our, our uh, like philosophy and understanding of reality from like the Greeks and from that. Well, it gets attributed to them because sure. the Greeks stole it all from the Egyptians. But please continue. Yes. But You're I don't right. think anybody watches the movie 300 for its historical value. You know, I think that's mostly about the uh, the blood and the action. That's true. I mean, but I do think, and, and I've had uh, some libertarians at libertarian events um, that we're not at. That, uh, <laughs> that, no, we're not. No. <laughs> uh, where they have said, it's like, yes, the, the you know, the 300 at, at Thermopylae, whatever, you know, this this was the most important battle uh, in, in, in history. This is This was the turning point. This is when freedom became a thing. And the movie certainly, like, definitely bolsters that notion um, that... Okay, so I recant what I said. Some people do watch it for well, so, yeah, well, I mean, it bolsters it, right? Um, even though I think the, well, the sequel. Did you ever see the the the, uh, the, the sequel to Three Hundred? But it was it was a sequel, but it was actually a prequel. No, they had no. to do with the Athenians. We'll have to watch that sometime. That was very interesting, and that brings up another point that you know, if you're into like say, well, actually, no, most libertarians aren't really into women's lib. Scratch that. Uh, so, <laughs> Isaac Asimov was? Yeah. Oh, he, 100 Hands Asimov. He certainly was. I know. Uh, anyway. <laughs> sorry. He has a great joke about that, too. Uh, uh, do you want to tell it? <laughs> so one time he was in an elevator and yeah. uh, there were a few women in front of him. And when the elevator stopped, he stepped to the side so that all the women could get off. The last one to leave turned around to him and said, when, lim- when, when women's lib takes over, you'll be leaving the elevator first. And Isaac Asimov said, well, I'm I'm a women's liberal myself. I want all women to be free. And the woman turned to him and said, you do? And he said, well, of course. I hate it when they charge. <laughs> Zinger. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. <laughs> well, anyway, the, the, the 300 sequel, which, again, is actually a prequel, uh, very explicitly shows what is more or less accurate history, that the Persians, one of the top Persian admirals was a woman named Artemisia. And, but in, in wow. Greece, that, that wasn't allowed in Greece. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, but the Greeks are the, or the Greeks, they're the fucking most advanced people on planet Earth. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry. I, yes, this, this, this just drives me mad, you know, and, and, and it just goes to show people, they don't read the books that they claim to quote. And that's why I'm always happy to talk about reading books on this show. And I'm willing to, even though we're going to get into some tech news and some science and other stuff, uh, I always love when we get to highlight, you know, books and reading them, even if it's audiobooks, whatever, like make it happen. What do you got? Yeah. So have you been reading any books lately? Uh, yeah, but they see the books I've been reading lately. Okay. The, the audiobooks I've been listening to have been ones where it's like, okay, I have to listen to it, right? 
Oh, like for a certain other podcast that you do? Yeah, either that or just like, okay, I feel like I need to to listen to this. I haven't been doing a lot of audiobook listening for pleasure uh, as late. So like I did How Not to Diet by Michael Greger, who last time you were on, we were talking about another Michael Greger book, which was uh, How to Survive a Pandemic, both which came out in 2020, both of which are fucking, I got my Mount Everest badge on audio because <laughs> How Not to Diet, which is separate from How Not to Die, which we also talked about one time when you were on the show uh, recently. How Not to Diet is another book, and it was fascinating. I mean, it was really, really solid and and, and, and very fascinating, but... Any good I, takeaways that you want to tell your listeners about? Uh, see, you, you know, you catch me on the dime like that, and 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 it's tough to think of. Well, you know, here actually, here's the weirdest thing in this book. And he admits that there's not a lot of great research done on the matter. But if you sleep with your bed basically six inches uh, higher at the head of the bed, and so at the foot of the bed, so you're sleeping at an angle, that somehow, and even he doesn't really know, but basically the tests have been done. It's just we don't know the the activators. Okay. Uh, somehow promotes weight loss. And so it's one of his things that he recommends doing. He's like, we don't know exactly why it works, but it does. And I, I thought and, and it really stuck out. And, and I feel like it might be just like that one weird thing that justifies any book. Because a lot of everything else that he had to talk about, I've, I've heard in other diet books like the Okinawan diet and so on, which, which all of which is fine. I'm not, you know, it's good even if something's a repackage, which it wasn't totally a repackage. It was just a, a ass load of great information in this book. Um, but I feel like you usually have to find like that one weird thing that people will remember from the book because that, boy, that exactly worked. It's the one weird thing that I am absolutely remembering from this book. I find it funny because this is how, and you haven't seen this yet because we're only in season two of Babylon 5. I find it funny. This is exactly how the Mimbari sleep in that show, uh, which I always thought was really cool. And in a lot of ways, I've tried to copy the Mimbari for a good chunk of my life. But I thought that was fascinating. We haven't done this yet. Uh, it would be easy enough. I have the bed on supports. We could just take the supports out from beneath the, the oh, foot of the bed. from the foot. Yeah, but would that interfere for when you're bending? I mean, when you're. When, <laughs> <laughs> That's that a might, good question. That could create problems. Oh, we might have a, to experiment. Yeah, this is this will require testing on our end because it, it's amazing. Your bed is at such a perfect height. Um, for, for <laughs> yes, nocturnal for, for activities. Rec recreational. For recreational activities, activities, right? Because it sure as fuck isn't nocturnal or not just nocturnal anyway. <laughs> Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, all hours of the day. All yes, um, it's amazing we're getting this podcast on. Quite frankly, uh, so <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So that that was an interesting takeaway, though. Uh, and I haven't looked into it deeper because I basically just finished this book. Uh, but that was interesting. So there's that. I, I recommend the book. I think everything he had to say in it. I, I was like, yeah, no, I'm on board with this. I, I, I get it. He's all about the plant-based diet. We've talked about it before. Um, I, I really appreciate the work that he does. Um, but now I'm reading the latest star Wars novel, which is uh, uh Shadowfall. It's an alphabet squadron novel. And if all of that sounds like a bunch of mumbo jumbo, it is. And frankly, I, 
it's it's a shitty book. Uh, and, oh wow! <laughs> but but you know what? I'll trudge through. I still have another eight hours, but I'll 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 get through it. You're a glutton for punishment. You just like to know everything there is to know about that one specific subject. Yes, this is true. No matter how painful it is for you. Yep, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, this is one of the reasons I scan books because, like, I want everything for something, you know. Uh, and if it's not out there, I will do what it takes to get it for myself. So anyway, I don't recommend that. I'm sure Rob and I will be, uh, uh, reviewing that, or at least I'll be talking about it more on my show, TIE Fighter Renegades. So we don't have to get into that. Um, I was reading one or rereading really, uh, LA Rollins, the myth of natural rights. Boy, what a stick of dynamite that book is that now that's not audiobook. I'd be happy to make it an audiobook, but that's one that I had scanned, uh, just a genius I mean, he just thrashes Rothbardian arguments. All of, I mean, I mean, he, he literally thrashes them. Like, there's he 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 grabs every major figurehead that argues about natural rights. He takes their own quotes and he just turns them upside down and, and shows like, what are these people talking about? Do you have uh, an example? Um, well, he with with Rothbard specifically, and in fact, Rothbard was so incensed, so or so enraged over Rollins's work that he actually, he wrote like a, an entire article trying to debunk Rollins saying, <laughs> no, that's not what I said, you know, but, but then Rollins wrote a debunking and I think thrashed him right back. Um, he, I mean, he tears apart Rand, but he's basically like one of his arguments gets around. He's quoting Rothbard where Rothbard is talking about that. Like the reason that natural rights are just that, why they're natural is because, you know, person A and person B, one of, you know, person B cannot be a slave to person A. And that, that's a very basic summation of his arg- of Rothbard's argument. But then Rollins says, says who? Like, like what, what is exactly stopping someone from being that? Like you can argue for what you say might be what allows for say human flourishing, but that's a totally different thing than what's possible. Like he basically brings up, um, you know, a his or his uh, his analogy is Rollins's analogy is that an elephant can't fly, but a man can steal. Basically saying like, look, you know, we're all tied down to our biology more or less. An elephant, you know, despite Dumbo, an elephant can't fly because it just doesn't have the biological ability to do so. So fine. It can't fly. Like that's an argument that can easily be made, but to say that a man can't steal. No, a man's perfectly capable of stealing. Like you can't argue that stealing is wrong based upon, you know, what one considers to be like the natural human condition. That, that yeah. Doesn't... It happens every day. And so does slavery. Right. Slavery has never been eradicated from humans. Right, right. So, so, and and this gets in Rothbard, of course, is is basing off of Rand because you know he used to be a, a Rand, right? And he's he's basically saying that you know if the argument for rights comes from human survival, uh, no, a person can survive perfectly fine by stealing. Like that, like the argument that somehow stealing is is not uh, fortuitous to an individual is preposterous. I mean, you could say it's not the best way to live, but that's totally different. The, the, there's a massive difference between how one survives and what's the best way to live. Those are two completely different fucking things, right? Yeah. And, and so that's what Rollins is bringing up. 
Um, now Rollins is far from a perfect figure. I'm not arguing for him being some kind of like great philosopher of any kind or whatever, but he certainly did, uh, did incredible work in this book. Um, and, and, and really gave everything a good thrashing, all of which actually things are not necessarily new. I've brought up similar arguments, uh, you know, in the past, um, on, on sovereign tech. So anyway, and this ties into egoism, right? Yeah. Yeah. Rollins would call himself uh, an egoist after a fashion. Um, and, and of course I'm, I'm a, I'm a proponent of, of egoism myself. Uh, so yeah, it fits in with that pretty well. Uh, he quotes Sterner quite a lot in, in his book. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I totally recommend that book. Uh, there's an ebook version of it floating out there somewhere and you're welcome. So cause, <laughs> <laughs> that comes from me. Uh, so anyway, yeah, I, I was reading that and I thought that was, uh, rereading it and it's just it's it's fantastic what what a great little read it's not a long book at all but it's just fucking brilliant so anyway that's what i've been up to as far as reading so we're 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 30 minutes deep i'm sure somebody in fact if you want to email questions at sovereigntech.com if you want to argue with me about no 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 self-ownership's a thing this is a thing yada 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 and blah 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 and you know you can't it's argumentation ethics and you can't argue for it without failing the argument and so it's all that go ahead. You can send me that email and I'll gladly, you know, if someone really wants to argue this with me, email me and we will set up the time to do a debate or and I will do a live debate. The voicemail is also an option. Voicemail is an option. That's true. Uh, I could pull up the number, but <laughs> it ends with 0069 and it's in the show notes. So there you go. I know it's a New York city number. I keep forgetting it, but uh, anyway, so <laughs> it is in the show notes. I doubt you're going to call it from my voice anyway, and you can find it right there. Um, yeah, do the call in and you can leave a message and I will play that message on air. Uh, and if it's this important, I'll probably try to do it unedited as well. Um, so anyway, so that great point to bring up. I'm glad you mentioned that because I don't mention that number enough. Uh, no, I've been riding on you to try and get like a pre-recorded ad for that number. Yeah, I know. Call into the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 855 453. I had so many right. I had so many people ask for it. Like so many people wanted it. No one's called in yet. Like I, I people I think people are wondering it's like, "Oh, why why isn't he playing these things that he set up?" No no one's called in yet. Now maybe you're writing your scripts out and you've got a good 15 minutes that you want to rock and I'm not insulting you for that. Go for it. I mean, you're saving me from talking for 15 minutes, so go ahead. You know, oh, I'm, that'd be amazing. Fuck yes, it would. I love getting Sovereign Tech listeners' voices on here because they're brilliant people, every single one of them. So, yeah, that oh, would be tremendous. But anyway, we'll see how that goes. Um, but, you know, we've got stuff to get into. Yeah, you're right. We've got some serious topics to cover. Very serious topics. We need to get down to business. All right. Well, let's take a quick break and we'll get down to business. We'll be right back with more Sovereign Tech. I promise we're going to talk about tech. Woo! Hey, is Sovereign Tech not enough for you? Well, let me tell you about something you'll never get enough of. No, no, I mean it. We're talking about a radio show and podcast that goes all night long, seven nights a week, three hours a night, 365 days a year, and has been going since the early aughts, baby. I am talking about none other than Free Talk Live. It's the show you control. That's right. It's an open phones call-in show that is ready for you. And if you're worried that your voice isn't going to get heard, don't be. We are talking about the only libertarian radio show stateside, and not only that, it's also the number 26 talk show in the United States. 
Start listening now and go ahead and hit that massive back catalog at freetalklive.com. The Golden Stallion guarantees a good time, and you might even find some episodes with me on them when you do. That's freetalklive.com, and we thank them for sponsoring Sovereign Tech. Let's get back to the show. The main story. So why don't we go ahead and get into our, uh, our main story here, Ellen. And this is one, actually I've had this for a while. Literally this story is from 2014, but I think that actually is an important point of the story. It, it highlights a matter of it. And I don't know what she's doing right now. <laughs> Are you I just, just getting a minor adjustment I had to make. Oh, to be minor adjustment. Yes. yes. All right. Grabbing your balls or something. No. <laughs> They get itchy, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Uh, anyway, no. <laughs> uh, uh, well, anyway, so this story uh, is from The Verge. Again, it's from uh, 2014, June, actually. So this story is almost to the day six years old. And it's a beautiful story, I think. Uh, it, it It's... Well, here, let me give you the headline. Beautiful and tragic. Beautiful and exactly. Beautiful and tragic and highlighting. Uh, this is the Starship Enterprise of sea exploration. Wait, so it's a starship, but in the water. So it's a ship. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> I mean, certainly the Enterprise, uh, I think, got sold as like being, okay, it's the sea view from voyage to the bottom of the sea put in space. Uh, and now we're just kind of going the opposite direction, which granted, I mean, that's really <laughs> obviously Sequest instantly comes to mind, right? Uh, the, the Sequest I think is a fitting, well, anyway, that was the enterprise trying to be in the water, but I mean, would you really call that? Well, no, well, no. So neither the sea view or Sequest would be ships because they were submarines. Right. Those are two very different things. And this isn't, well, this ship I love the that you're semantics. talking Sorry, about, go ahead. Yeah. It's, it's not fully submerged, but it's also, it's like half above water and half below. Yeah. So the design was very interesting. Um, this basically looked like a floating blade. Uh, and you can see a picture of it if you click on the links in the, or the link in the show notes. Well, it has a pretty significant portion underneath the water. Like right. it has a really long stabilizing fin. Right. That goes deep into the water. Which has purpose to it as well. I almost said porpoise, but you know, <laughs> we'll save those jokes. Uh, let, let me, let's let's read a bit of the story here. French architect Jacques Rogieri, I think I got that right, wants to fund an ocean laboratory straight out of science fiction. He just needs forty-eight million dollars to do it. Now, let's be clear here that for quite a few people who we actually know the names of, this we don't even have to get into the you know the really wealthy who will never know their names. That's pocket change. That's money they spend on buying some stupid startup in Silicon Valley, you know, for perspective. Yeah. Or they could even spend that much on their own personal yacht. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh fuck. Yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and now before anybody says, yeah, but you got to fuel this thing. Okay. Well, well, let's, let's read the story. Let's talk about this. Okay. And again, this is from 2014. So let's read the story. Then we'll break it down. 
and why this is important. French architect and oceanographer Jacques Rosiri has spent more than 30 years researching underwater habitats and even launched his own design firm for that purpose. His pet project, though, is considerably more ambitious. Drawing inspiration from Jules, Verne, Jules Verne's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, Rogieri's Sea Orbiter, and that's all one word with the O being capitalized, kind of like Sea View and SeaQuest, uh, is a 190-foot-tall floating laboratory, complete with space simulator and submersible garage. The uh, Sea Orbiter has been in development for the better part of a decade, meant to run on a combination of solar and wind power, so... It doesn't really need the gas, right? If you're thinking, well, this is going to cost $48 million, but then it's going to cost $200 million to have it go around the oceans, you know, for however many years. Uh, not exactly. Well, maybe for maintenance, you know, it, yeah. it, it would cost that much every few years instead of like consistently. Right, right. You know, to replace the turbines or the solar panels or whatever. I imagine it still falls well within the operational budget of just about any acquisition that's made. For example, say the millions that Bezos spent on buying the Washington Post. Um, you know, that has a very high operational cost. Uh, and I, I actually, I think that thing runs at a loss. I, I can't imagine any newspaper that's like really successful outside of maybe the Wall Street Journal, maybe New York Times. But, you know, they're full of shit anyway. So anyway, reading on. Um, yeah, so meant to run on a combination of solar and wind power, uh, Rogeri wants the vessel to be as sustainable and unobtrusive to oceanic ecosystems as possible. The facility would be run by a crew of at least 18 people who would serve to observe life above and below water, manage data, and explore the depths in an array of submersibles that can be used to collect samples. In addition, the submerged part of the vessel houses simulators meant to gauge how humans might cope with long-term space travel. The dream is for the ship to help better explore the world's oceans, 95% uh, of which remain unexplored. Now, you know, speaking of that part quick, a couple things. One, having a crew of only 18 people, I think that's the, I mean, they, they say you can have more. It says you could have more, but I think that's the right amount. I think you get into really, really large crews um, this is where I think Star Trek has often been wrong, is that in Star Trek, you know, like the crew, well, like the original Enterprise, NCC-1701, had a crew of a little over 400. Um, the Enterprise D, maybe close to 1,000 when you count all the families and everything. I mean, it just gets insane. And to say nothing of the Enterprise J, which is, you know, literally a gigantic city in space. But I think there's a quote from Harlan Ellison, who you mentioned earlier, um, and actually, well, anyway, it's been a couple of years now, uh, almost to the day since he's been gone. But um, he was a conceptual consultant or a creative consultant for Babylon 5. And he said one thing about, uh, and of course, you know, from the opening credits of Babylon 5, uh, you know, what is it? How he's many... the creative consultant. We've been watching that show for a few weeks now. Are you still loving it? Yeah, still loving it. Yeah, yeah. So how many people are on Babylon 5? Crew-wise or yeah, th think total? Of the, uh, total. Think of, think of the credits. Do you recall what the credits say? No. Okay. No, well, anyway, it's a quarter million humans and aliens. Now, Harlan Ellison's, one of his primary contributions to the show as creative consultant, he said to Joe Straczynski, the guy that made Babylon 5, he says, look, you get that many people up there, they're going to start beating the crap out of each other. And that's it. I think Harlan's totally right. You get that many people all together in a cage of some kind, be it a starship, space station, whatever, and they're just going to start beating the crap. I mean, like, people are just going to rub nerves. You know, they're, they're, you're going to be rubbing another man's rhubarb when you're up there. Sure. 
But we also watched a movie recently, Sunshine, where the opposite was true, where there were there was a crew of like five or six people, and then they slowly got whittled down. And I get it, that's in space, and in space movies like that, people are supposed to go nuts and kill each other. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like uh, contention and disagreements, is a, they're going to be constant for any size crew. Although it is more manageable when it's a smaller number of people because then you can talk to people one-on-one. Exactly. Yeah. See, now, because this gets into the Dunbar number, and this is kind of my point, is that that's really the only way I think the ship could operate without a military structure, okay? Which, let's be honest, Star Trek and most of science fiction has their starships with these hundreds of people or thousands of people, minus maybe Ian Banks' culture series. And understand, science fiction is a way of for lack of a better term, wargaming, you know, what space exploration and things could be like, which is actually something that the sea orbiter wants to do as well. Um, you can have a deep connection with 18 people, right? Sure. So a deep connection to where you can empathize with each other, be more understanding and so on. When you get into the hundreds of people or even well beyond 50 I think you run into the issues of where people can kind of dehumanize each other or think of think of others as just that, the other, right? The us versus them. As to where I think the smaller the number is, the better chances are that, you know, a ship can get around, a crew can get around peaceably, right? I mean, or at least that's my opinion on it. Do you have thoughts? Yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, it's easy enough to get along with that number of people, um, especially you know, if it's traveling the seas, I imagine there are plenty of places to stop off and get some space from one another. Sure. Maybe you'll be on the ship together for like a couple months at a time or whatever, maybe weeks or days. But um, it's certainly not like the years that are portrayed in other science fiction. Right. I mean, and that's another advantage of the sea orbiter as well, is that it would have allowed people to get some fresh air. <laughs> you yeah. <know? laughs> Which you can't always do it in outer space. You can never do in outer space unless you land somewhere. And then is that air fresh? You don't know, but whatever, they open the shuttle bay doors anyway. So. Oh, and and just the views of like the sunsets and the sunrises that you'd be able to get from that thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, it'd be amazing. Yeah. I mean, I've been, and, and with summary, if anyone's ever been on a submarine, and actually I know some of my listeners have, okay. Um, I've been on one. And I mean, that, that is a weird experience and it is disquieting for a lot of reasons, partly because it is so quiet, but that is something where I, I do feel in many ways, the only reason people aren't beating the crap out of each other is because there is that military structure. That is not an argument for military structure. Like I, I'd never argue for that at any time. I'm just saying that's what allows people to stay relatively peaceable. I think (laughs) because it's just, it, it's maddening. What's maddening about it? Is it uh, like being in a tin can under the sea where you can't see the sun? Is it the proximity of people? Yeah. I mean, you're basically in, in a submerged fart container uh, <laughs> and, and, and you smell fucking everything. And, 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 you know, a lot of people think like, I remember when I was first getting on board one and we were going down, uh, I was expecting like a hum of the engine or something. Oh no, no, it's, it's eerily quiet. It's way, way too quiet. You know, and, and, and that, that messes with you. And if you're somewhat of a taller person, things are fairly cramped. 
Um, I mean, there's just a lot of things that, that just put you on edge the whole time, you know? And so, yeah, having something where you can get out and get really get some fresh air. I mean, granted, you know, a submarine can also, uh, you know, cruise at, uh, you know, at the top, but you don't have to be submerged the whole time. Clearly. In fact, you can't be, but yeah. Anyway, th this would certainly be far more comfortable. So this has advantages over a submarine. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, in fact, I, I mean, cause I remember as a kid watching Sequest and like, wow, there's so much space in there. And it's like, Oh no, no, no submarine is like that. Uh, but you really, to, to even get shit done, I think like you would say, I mean, and I know it's science fiction, but to get shit done, like they do, you know, science and all that and research and everything. I think you need that. Like being in the tight confined spaces. Nah, I don't know how well that works. So, but the other point here that I thought was, was pretty interesting is the 95, basically saying this would help us better explore the world's oceans. 95% of which remain unexplored. Um, we, we've been watching blue planet recently as well. Yep. And it is amazing how many times David Attenborough basically says, this creature has never been on camera before. Right. It, there, or this is the first time that we've seen this. Or, you know, there's these things we don't fucking understand why this is. And, you know. Like, we don't know where the whales go for nine months out of the year. Right, right. <laughs> there is so much to learn on Earth alone. Yes, yeah. Although I, I don't like that statistic. And I think mm -hmm. I've mentioned this to you before. I actually, like, wrote about this in an article once. But... Um, that number, 95% of the ocean is unexplored. That's, that's like a misleading statement because it, they don't say in, in what regard they, like, how are they defining explored? You know, right. is it because like, if you're talking about ocean mapping, uh, like at what resolution, you know, yeah, or yeah. if you're talking about number of species, well, how do you quantify the number of species that we haven't discovered yet? Right. <laughs> you can't. Yeah. So yeah. so there's, you know, there's some wiggle room for that number. But I, I still think that it's true that there's so much um, that we don't know that we don't know. It's a good selling point. Yes. You know, it really is. Yeah. Uh, so, well, let's continue on with the story then. But you're absolutely right. Uh, already equipped with a clear vision, the only obstacle left is funding. Well, I mean, because I, I don't know, everything we were just talking about, I think, sounds like a great idea. Uh, it would yeah. be very beneficial. Uh, it, it, the benefit to humanity would be, um, beyond our imagination. You know, we couldn't even quantify the amount of, of money and the amount of just good health benefits or advances in, in, uh, technology that might come out of this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, a lot of the same arguments get made for why we still go into space. You know why there's government funding for going into space is that the more we understand the rest of our solar system or the rest of the universe, the better we understand our own planet. Well, guess what? Even what we research on our own planet, we don't understand very well. And so, you know, anyway, uh, let me keep reading here. <laughs> well, I have a theory about that too, but keep, keep going. Okay. Um, while Rajiri managed to raise an impressive $466,000 via French uh, crowdfunding site, kiss, kiss, bank, bank. That's clever. Uh, as in like kiss, kiss, bang, mm -hmm. bang, uh, earlier this year, the, and this is in 2014, the total cost of launching the sea orbiter is approximately 48 million. If he succeeds, he can launch the craft by year's end in wait for it. 2016. Here's hoping he pulls it off. 
Well, it is the year 2020. And last time I checked Google Maps, which actually might have been in 2014, but no, <laughs> or should I say uh, Google, not Street View or whatever, but anyway, Google or Google Earth, that's what I meant to say. The last time I checked that, the Sea Orbiter is not out there. Uh, actually, we know it's not out there. And so basically nobody, nobody thought it worthwhile to hash out $48 million to make a giant sea lab, uh, you know, explore our earth and do et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. We're the eccentric millionaires when you need them. Yeah. I mean, you're willing to pay that for a newspaper, but you won't pay it for, you know, a, a fucking, I mean, one of the most brilliant ideas. I mean, something that I think is absolutely crucial to, to understanding our own planet and thus in some ways ourselves. Yeah. People are willing to spend like hundreds of millions sometimes on these amazingly decorated mansions with mm-hmm. pools and, and they've got all this design that's, that comes straight from Europe. and Right. Uh, but they're not willing to invest their money in things that would benefit the rest of the world. I mean, the tax write-offs, uh, from, from an environmental standpoint, I would think would be almost pay, would almost pay for itself. Yeah, you could uh, think of it as charity. You know? <laughs> yeah, if you wanted. I mean, I, 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 am, I am baffled by this, uh, that this didn't, basically this did not get funded. And that's the tragic part of the story right. is that it it was saying, here's to hoping this gets done in 2016. And that was four years ago and it still hasn't happened. Right. And. Well, what was your theory? You said you had a theory. Yeah. Yeah. It, I, it just makes me feel so sad for humanity because I think that a lot of wealthy people don't want to invest in research labs like this that could potentially learn an enormous amount about our oceans Mm -hmm. because what keeps people wealthy in our world is industry Mm. and what's the most pollutive and damaging thing to the ocean industry. Sure. And it's not just a single industry. It's everything that keeps Walmart's shelves stocked. It's right. everything that keeps people buying music on Apple Music. You know, it's it's all of these products that are made for millions of people to throw away and buy new products again sooner or later. Um, and all of that waste eventually ends up in the oceans. And already, like, people have been talking about this for decades. This isn't news, but, like, the oceans are changing because right. of human activity and in some places they're dying and in some places animals are migrating farther north because the oceans are warmer and it's leading to sharks in Maine, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like um I I remember there's this article I was reading a couple months ago about uh this speculative company wanting to dredge up sand from the ocean and then pour it out again in a different area. Um and it was going to like spread across miles of the ocean floor potentially burying all of the animals that live there. Like who knows what that would do mm-hmm. to the ecosystem down there. Right. Um, but it was all for the sake of getting more rare metals to make electronics. Yeah. Uh, so, so I guess what I'm saying is I don't think people want to invest in technologies that would help us to understand the ocean and explore more of it and, and learn what goes on in there. Because if we do that, then we're going to find out 
you know, how wrong we've been all this time. Ah, that what we've been doing, say, in the ocean has been really, uh, has been a net negative. Is, is, that, is yeah, that what you're getting at? Yeah, and I mean, it doesn't even have to be directly in the ocean. It's just, you know, everything washes to the ocean. Yeah. Um, Amazingly, there have been, like, plastic trash found in the Marianas oh, it's, Trench. It's, it's the insane. The deepest point in the ocean. The plastic problem, I mean... Look, it's not made up. You can go to, and, and I'm not saying that it's like all America's fault or whatever. I understand. I know very well the countries where that are creating like some of the largest aspects of like a lot of plastic pollution and everything. Yeah. We have, it's, and it, it's, it's not about all oh, the poor tuna or the, oh, the poor dolphins or anything. Get all of those arguments out of your head. There are places on planet earth that you can go to where it is literally a sea of plastic. Yeah. The Sargasso where, Sea. Uh, yes. Yeah, sure. Go to Bali. Go to, I mean, well, is it Bali? Anyway, there's there's plenty of places around the world that you can go to where you go, holy fuck, what the hell were we doing? What what are we thinking? You know, with a lot of this stuff. Now, there are solutions to what you can do with a lot of that. Okay, sure. But you've got to want to do that. And, but ultimately that, I think your point is totally valid, Ellen, and, and absolutely on that we don't want to find out just how much we fuck things up, right? Because then you you got to be held accountable for that, you know, either for yourself or you're going to go on with some cognitive dissonance, I guess. I don't know. The other part is I don't think anybody sees the profit in it, you know? Yeah, which is another sad thing. But that's why, you know, you can view it as charity. And it's sure. not just the 48 million that you invest or whatever. It's mm-hmm. also like the benefits that everyone reaps from that afterwards. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I... I'm very bothered by the fact that, I mean, here, here's the rub, right? So like you mentioned a lot of the electronics and a lot of other things, you know, that, that, that they want to produce, or you have Elon Musk. Oh yeah. We've got the hyper, I'm building the hyperloop or we're going to space. We're going to go to Mars and you know, or we have the Tesla, this electric car and everybody that hops into their Tesla thinks that they're living the fucking future or something. You know, here's the rub that a lot of people forget is that we buy into a lot of the stuff. Science fiction, as much as it is a great mental tool for how to adapt to changes and to prepare for dramatic changes or fast paced changes. And it is, in fact, Asimov himself said the very same thing, but regardless, I I, I think its point has been proven many times. Okay. Uh, Science fiction can also be tremendous marketing and to the point of being predictive programming. And I think that this has happened quite a few times. In fact, probably my favorite example, my two favorite examples would be The Sixth Day with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Have you seen that? No, I haven't. Okay, I'll get the Blu-ray. We'll watch that. Um, it's a good movie. I, like, I actually think it's a good movie, but also it it is, it was certainly, I think, trying to get people primed and ready for a lot of things. Like your refrigerator having a screen on it and telling you what you need and blah 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 and, and delivering oh, it to, right to your house and that's so interesting. on. Yeah, I mean, if <laughs> you look, you at, can do all that now. Sure, right. Well, I mean, if you look at the world of the sixth day, it's like, wow, this would all this technology would be really great if we were living during a pandemic. Anyway, so the but then uh, also another movie, uh, for example, that I think was trying to maybe prime people a bit, uh, which is also a very pressing film right now be demolition man with uh, Stallone. Now that wow. that is something we did watch. Yes. Um, and I think that's prescient on a whole other level. You know, your joy, joy feelings, like you're a special, you can walk right up to a little screen 
and say, you know, I just don't feel good about myself. Hey, you're a, spe-, you know, and the computer will reply back to you. You're a special person, you know, go forward with your joy, joy feelings or whatever. And it won't say anything offensive. Right. And try and make you feel better about yourself and blah, blah, blah. And I, that boy, if, if people haven't watched that movie in a while, watch it right now, because it's actually, it speaks more to today than it did to 1995, in my opinion. Um, do, do you have any thoughts on that? I have a point I'm getting to. Because. Well, it's just interesting that you say that. I mean, I do remember listening to a podcast once where they were doing this whole expose on um, algorithmic therapists. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, you can go to this uh, program, this computer program with your problems. Right. And the algorithm will basically be your therapist. Sure. And people love it. It really works for them. And it's so simple because all it does is like it takes what you say and it it kind of reflects it back to you and asks you questions about it. But it's not a person, you know. Well, I think, yeah, that's a, that's an interesting point to bring up. Therapy is, is. This is a case where I think something like that might actually work, like you're saying, like you, mm-hmm. you said, it does work for people because really a therapist is ju- is just supposed to reflect like listen to you and reflect back. You have the answers. Like in my opinion, a great therapist is just trying to draw the answers out of you for yourself. They are not giving you the answers. They are not telling you what you should do. In fact, should ironically should never come out of their mouths. Um, Not that I think they need to be NBC or anything. Not at all. I'm just saying that a great therapist draws the stuff out of you. And so I could see where an algorithm is like listening and then can put that pattern together, bounce it back at you, and you see the answer. Sure. I, I think there are human elements that uh, could potentially be better than that algorithm. You know, mm-hmm. like uh, pointing out some things that you said and showing how they relate or showing how they contradict. You know? Right. Um, so there's that. But uh, I just I thought that was interesting because like in that movie, technology is being used for that purpose. Yeah. Um, also... Yeah, it it is really interesting. Like people can just like go go up to these panels wherever they are in the city and basically access any information that they want to. And this movie was made before smartphones, right? Oh yes. Yes. Yeah, so it's like having access to the entire internet and database of things wherever you are. Yeah, it's the payphone version of the smartphone, right. basically. It basically, in fact, that's very interesting. I never thought about it that way, but you're you're totally right. These were these were smart payphones. That, that that's all they were, <laughs> you know. But it, the concept is the same. Um, that 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 is very interesting. Well, so my point with that is that. Science fiction can be marketing, okay? And I understand, and I'm sure you can relate to this too, Ellen. I mean, you know, all the things I see in Star Trek, yeah, I want that. Please, let, let me have all those technologies, whatever. Some of them I do have, you know, like uh, the, the pad could also actually be the smartphone, but I think the pad is more like the the Kindle e-reader, you know. Or We've like got e-readers. the communicators. We we do have communicators to some degree. I mean, there, there's a problem in that all these technologies are centralized, which, you know, we forget that, that, that all the cool things we saw in Knight Rider and Airwolf and whatever else and all these other shows were not attached to a central server most of the time. And that's why we could, that's why they were palatable. But now, basically, Silicon Valley and other industries 
are trying to sell us what we have seen over the years as the future, right? And either they marketed it intentionally through science fiction, or they are just taking advantage of what became popular via science fiction, fantasy, action, adventure. Here's the thing. And this is where like having all that wonderful technology, it looks like they live such fulfilled lives on Star Trek, such fulfilled lives in the future and whatever, you know, where we happen to be talking about, unless it's a dystopia. They're doing cool shit in their lives. Okay. You have the electronics. Now you have those devices now in your hands, but your life is boring. Your life, you don't do cool shit in your life. And I'm not talking to you, Ellen. I'm talking to most people, the average person, you know, they have all these amazing things they can do with an iPhone. What do they do? TikTok, Snapchat, what, you know, you know, like all, all this, there, there's so many amazing things that you can do. I mean, like when, when Google glass came out and I know that Apple and Google are going to try again with putting out augmented reality stuff, you know, Google had a hard time trying to show people how, how in their lives right now that they could do something really cool with Google, Google glass, right. With an AR little screen, you know, getting transmitted in your eye. And the best thing they came up with was skiing and it's showing you a barometer, you know, but most people don't ski. And if you ski, it's only, a, you know, certain times of the year and you're not going to hash out a thousand dollars to be able to just have, uh, uh, you know, to see the barometric pressure or whatever, you know, um, and so that's the rub is that we're getting sold all of the technology of the future, but we're not doing anything that these people, you know, why they had these technologies in the, in the first place. We're not living that life at so all. These technologies aren't being provided out of necessity. They're being provided because it's something else that they can sell you. Yeah. It's not to improve our way, our life. It's not to give us fulfillment of any kind. Not at all. Who, 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 who says that social media gives them fulfillment? Bullshit. That somehow they walk away as enlightened human beings. Oh, I'm so glad I went on social media today. I can't, I cannot even remember the last time I heard anybody ever say that if they ever did. No, if anything, they say that they wasted half an hour scrolling through Facebook or whatever. Exactly. Yes. And so, so there's, there's the rub. Okay. You've got all these technologies and blah, 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 that look like that comes straight out of science fiction, but you don't have the life straight out of science fiction and to call bullshit on the whole thing. Nobody in Silicon Valley will even fund a project like the sea orbiter that would remotely give you something close to being able to live that life. Like, Oh yes, it'd be amazing to be perhaps on some kind of bulletin board system or what could equate to social media, you know, on your little smartphone or whatever device you happen to have and show, Holy shit. I saw this manta ray today. Yeah, sign me up for where people are doing that, you know, but instead we're using the tech to what, get rid of our wrinkles, you know, and, and look like fake people on, 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 and I want to be kind of respectful to that, but for fuck's sake, like we're not doing anything really great or really cool with all of this tech that we have and that's getting slept on us. And we're being told that we live in the future. No, we don't. You know, and, and nobody will fund the actual future, like something like an idea, like the sea orbiter, you know, or, and, and so on. I mean, what, am I, am I crazy? Tell, you, you are one of the few people on planet earth that is, that can tell me I'm crazy. Go, go for it. No, I think you're right. I mean, I would like to think that I live a pretty cool life, but honestly, I don't need technology to do the majority of what I do. Uh -huh. Um, 
and, and, and you know what you just said also reminds me of something that uh, you brought up the other day when we were going for a walk. Uh, you said that Elon Musk posted something saying that like uh, someone's a copycat for getting Bezos into... is a copycat for buying an automated car company. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But then you're like, what did he invent? Nothing. <laughs> you know, he's using technology that's like 40, 50 years old. Oh, I mean, you know, if we're talking about people being on social media, you can go to my Twitter account and I tweeted about it as well. I said, because I retweeted what, what, ba- what Musk said. And I said, like, his electric car is a hundred year old concepts by far superior engineers back then. Um, his rocketry are 60 year old concepts. He runs his factories like it's a hundred years ago. I mean, it, it's insane. Anyway, continue. Yeah. Well, anyway, I, I guess what I'm saying is like the technology might have minor modifications to it, but it's not like there, there have been any major technological breakthroughs right. in that field or in the whatever industries that he's uh, invested in. Mm-hmm. And certainly there are fields that have had major breakthroughs. Um, but, you know, the technology that's developed there, nobody hears about it because it's it's so niche, you know? Right. It's, it's made for a very specific application that the majority of people are never even going to hear about or mm. know that it exists. Um the technology that's being created for the the mass or the vast majority of the population. Um, yeah, that stuff like it's just I, I feel like it's gimmicky and there's no added value to people's lives. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. It, absolutely agree with you. And, you know, a, a common criticism and I've heard this from people who criticize like going to space where they would say, it's like, you know, why, why do we, why would we go to outer space when we don't understand ourselves or like when we could be exploring, you know, our inner universe and so on. And I get that now, granted, there's no reason you can't do both. Okay. Right. Uh, you can. In fact, one might really help out with the other more than one realizes, you know, and, and many of the arguments for space can be applied to the sea as well. So you know, I mean, and I've said this many times, the only way we're ever going to get freedom is if we have star colonies or seed colonies, you know, like we either build under the ocean or we go up, you know, you do one or the other, you got to get away from the countries, you know, you got to yeah. get away from nation states, the bottom line. But the, the thing with that, with that argument is that, okay, fine. But then all the technology that you're arguing that is bringing the future and is so goddamn great is completely distracting you from exploring yourself. You know, as to where I would imagine the sea orbiter would literally like that is literally about exploration, which exploration is itself a worthwhile goal. You know, the accumulation of knowledge, I think, is a worthwhile thing uh, in and of itself. And I think as you as you explore more, like it really does, as you learn more, it helps you understand more about yourself as you learn more about the world around you, not as you learn more about some moron 5,000 miles away who, I don't know, picked up an AR-15 in a pink shirt or something and, and you know, just looked like an idiot. Uh, like, that, that that's, and, and that's not to say you can't have dumb fun, okay? But let's be clear here that 90, I think 90%, if we're going to talk about percentages, 95% of the technologies that get schlepped to you that supposedly these companies are doing amazing things with are pure distraction. 
and are not about either, you know, understanding the world better or ourselves. Yeah, they're either distraction or they're uh, about the image. You know, like headphones can be a really valuable thing to have mm-hmm. if you want to listen to books or music or whatever. But who needs Apple AirPods? You know, the, the sure. only reason people buy that, I, I'm pretty sure, is because it became a trend and people want to have that image. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that see, oh, see, you just, you just, you took a pickaxe. But you've talked about this so many no, times. I, I know, I know, but you, but you took a pickaxe at something. There is something very different and insidious that exists today. And it's partly because we each have a screen in front of our faces for more hours than there should be. Uh, and because of social media and so on. And that is the concept of the influencer. Okay. Now it used to be, Pre, I don't want to just say pre-internet because the internet was different at one point. But for the sake of it, let's say pre-internet. It used to be, okay, yes, this was the nature of advertising. You get somebody who is well-liked by the populace and you get them to basically endorse your product. And you either pay them off to do so, you put them in a magazine ad, or you do whatever. But that wasn't persistent, okay? And... People used to have the decency to not want to know every little goddamn thing about other people's lives, except for the busybodies. There have always been busybodies. There always will be. And certainly they were reading, you know, the National Enquirer and whatever else to find out that, um, I don't know, Marilyn Monroe had Bat Boy, you know, or something like that. Like, and, and, I, and I get that, right? Okay. But, but there used to be a separation. You know, you used to be, you, there was a time where it was not beneficial for the celebrity to constantly, uh, uh, you know, basically expose themselves at all times. Um, now they're like, there's, there's a perceived monetary incentive, which I also think is bullshit. It all has to do with data. But anyway, bottom line being is that the, the influencer has turned all of this upside down to where we are. It's more of that, that lack of a, or more of that stealing attention, more of that, um, yeah, you not actually like living your life. You're like just trying to copy whatever the fuck you see, you know, there. I mean, and people used to do this with movies and everything else, but now it's, it's a whole other ballgame. Yeah, it's like playing on people's insecurities. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and anyway, this is a massive subject that that, that we could get into. Um, but I think you're, you know, it's the lifestyle obsession, like Fight Club would say, something along those lines. Uh, it's a problem. It's a big, big problem problem now because also everything you see online none of that shit's real in fact oh we were gonna well we're not gonna talk about it i didn't line it up we were gonna talk about deep fakes oh yeah you did mention that i did mention that but we won't get into that in this episode we'll just have to have ellen on again oh darn (laughs) yeah (laughs) anyway i guess bottom line i feel like the fact that this idea which only needed 48 million even frankly even for operational costs for 20 30 years Say it costs $100 million. The fact that this didn't get funded, that this wasn't considered a great idea, privately, you know, even. I'm not arguing for the government getting involved. Um, I think shows just how wildly off our priorities are as a species. Um, I mean, they're just, they're just off. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't speak well of people. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I could say it shows how people are, like, selfish or they're short-sighted. Right. But, I I mean, you can't begrudge anybody what they spend the money that they earned on, you know. Sure. But 
at the same time, I feel like there are better ways to spend it. <laughs> yeah. and, and what better way to invest your money than in broadening the scope of human knowledge? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, here's the thing. Yeah. And I hear you. And right. I'm not going to tell other people how to spend their money, really. But there does come a time and you can ask. And I've talked to millionaires and billionaires. I've sat in rooms with them and I've even consulted them. Oh, well, sitting or, in the room of holiness. Well, of yeah, money. Right. well, they may like to think that. I don't think that about them. <laughs> no, uh, I, I don't either. And fact, I've I, met these people as well. And, sure. you know, they're humans just right. like us. In fact, I think they like me that I talk to them. Like they're nothing special. I think that's, that's part of the reason that they hire me half the time. <laughs> so, <laughs> because I just don't care, but the, the you know, I, I only say this not to like prop myself up. I say this to say that we're talking about these very people and all of them will tell you pretty much all of them will say there is a point where the number of zeros behind the one in your bank account don't matter anymore. And in fact, the money, really just doesn't matter anymore. And it becomes something else. Are you saying that they realize at some point that wealth doesn't make them happy? Yes. I mean, oh. Jim, Jim Carrey said it perfectly. He said, I wish everybody was a millionaire so they'd know money doesn't matter. And that's the, that that's the rub. And, and I don't know what, you know, to some degree, I know what these people do, but then there's parts of their lives that I have no fucking idea. But I mean, if I had millions of dollars, you know, I mean, I would love to impress the fuck out of you, Ellen, you know, love of my life and say, hey, I just I just funded Jacques Rigori and, and you know, I, I the, the sea orbiter is going to be a thing that was all me. And, oh and I, I can only imagine your reaction to that. Like, I mean, just right now, just you thinking about it, I can see it in your eyes. I mean, you're just like, Oh, oh, oh you know? Yeah. You better get me a seat on that boat. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, but, but wouldn't you, I mean, you know, well, here, I'll say it from my perspective. If you, on the other hand, were a millionaire, you know, multimillionaire, and you told me you funded the sea orbiter, I mean, I'd be like, Oh baby, I'm going to eat your pussy all night. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like I'd be so turned on yeah. by that. Right. Yes. You know, I mean, that's amazing. I mean, fuck the diamond ring. No, baby, I, you know, I'm funding the exploration of the oceans around the planet. Oh, the sexiest thing you could do. Exactly my point. <laughs> right. So I, I don't know. I don't understand how these people don't think that way. Like that that's what's cool, you know, and that that's what's awesome. Um, and, and that they're not willing to even like, it just, it baffles the mind. It really does. Um, well, if I could play devil's advocate for a moment. Go for it. Um, I'm fairly sure that that's an unproven design. Like, they haven't built it yet. Yeah, sure. So, there's no guarantee that it would actually work. Yeah, I mean, I do think that, that a lot of seaworthy design principles, I mean, that they're known and have been sound for a long while. And I just... I, I mean, maybe that's what happened. And I tried to find out if like what happened was not that it didn't get enough funding, but that basically, you know, it was found out, oh, actually, Jock's, uh his designs were, were wildly off. But I can't find any evidence that that's the case. No. And, you know, it looks like it would work. And also he has his own um what, he has his own company where he designs mm -hmm. and studies these undersea habitats. So mm -hmm. one would think that 
if anybody could design this thing, it would be him. Um, but that's just one caveat that I can think of. I'm, I'm not entirely sure why nobody invested in it. Yeah. I mean, I would just, I would, you know, like if I had Bezos's money, this is the kind of stuff I'd love to know that exists, that it's happening. And you could say he's doing it with blue origin and he's selling seats, I, I, you know, on those things. I no. Yeah. This isn't something that you can get into for like monetary profit. Right. You can't expect that. It's just going to be a consistent investment of money. But then who would you talk to that wouldn't say this is worthwhile? I mean, I, I think most people would be like, oh, that's great that we're doing that. That's really cool. But then I think millionaires would say, well, I didn't get to be a millionaire by investing in projects that don't make a profit. Yeah. Well, how did you get to be a millionaire? I mean, <laughs> unless it was Bitcoin, you're sucking some government cock. And of course, that explains everything, I think. But yeah, yeah it always involves sucking cock. Well, there it is. <laughs> I don't have anything to add on that. No, but I'm just, this is so disheartening, you know, that again, I just think it goes to show that, that our, our, as a civilization, not that I like to count myself amongst that because I don't consider myself civilized, but <laughs> no, you're a barbarian. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's one of the worst insults you can give a person. I think it's called them civilized. Um, you know, as a civilization, like our priorities are just, are just so fucking off base, you know? And I know the economic arguments around it. I know them all too well, but. Oh boy. <sighs> yeah. What, what's, what's legal and what's right are not the same thing. No. What's best and what's right. Ironically are also not always the same thing. And I know that's splitting hairs with terms, but that's. That's something to consider. So anyway, anything else you want to say about this? Well, we can keep dreaming about it. I mean, someday yeah. when I'm a millionaire, maybe I'll invest in it. But, you know, it's going to be a long time until then. So hopefully someone else uh, ponies up before I have to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and you know, I can imagine somebody's going to, real quick, I'll say this. I can imagine some people will say, yeah, but the reason we're going to space first is because we can mine asteroids. And so, you know, there's like money to be made. And then that money that gets that money that can get made will be so much that, OK, fine. Then we can fund like all these fun sea projects and, and everything like that. Uh, again, I just want people to be honest about that, that that's what they want. I want to hear. I would just love it if these fuckers, Musk and Bezos, would just say, yes, this is what I want to do. I would love to do that. You know, but we don't get to hear them say that. What a shame. So uh, anything else? Yeah, you're right. People aren't honest enough. And uh, frankly, I think a lot of people, including millionaires, buy into this illusion that like profit, fame, wealth, that's the best there is in life. Right. <sighs> no. <laughs> Just that's it. No. <laughs> uh, um, well, how about we move on to some other stuff, shall we? So now, you know, let's have some fun. In fact, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Let's have some fun. We're, we're going to, the rest of this episode is just going to be a good time. Let's so, devote it to fun. Yeah, I love it. I love <laughs> it. Uh, we're going to, we'll definitely get into the gaming grid. I don't know if we'll get into all the movies. We've already mentioned a few, but um, we'll certainly make a recommendation maybe towards the end. But anyway, I want to make sure we talk about games. We got to get that in. But before we do that. You know, 
actually, Ellen, when you and I are not playing video games, usually what we're doing is, well. Well. You know, the, the wild mambo, the, the, the hunka chunka, the, the horizontal polka. <laughs> so of course you're talking about sexual intercourse. Whoa, geez, can you say that on a podcast? No. <laughs> well, yeah, let's talk about sex. What the hell? Somebody cue the music. No, all right, we won't put that in. But um, <laughs> play some Kenny G. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, it's something that comes up on Sovereign Tech, no pun intended, uh, that comes up on, on Sovereign Tech every once in a while, or very, fairly often. I like talking about it. I know you like talking about it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. No, it's it's great. It's one of the best parts of life. Exactly. It's the most rewarding. Absolutely. So I was reading a, a magazine. It was actually a PDF uh, of the magazine. And Which magazine? So it, it's a uh, muscular development. Part of the pro- and I've talked about this in the past on Sovereign Tech. Of course, you and I, we work out fairly often. Yeah, you know, five days a week. Five days a week, an hour and a half, a couple hours, a, you know, a day. Uh, well, sometimes longer. Sometimes longer. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, certainly. And that doesn't even count the hikes and other things that we do on weekends and so on. Uh, but what do you got? No, no, no. I'm just agreeing with you. Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, like, after doing weightlifting all week, hiking, you know, long-form exercise, it just, it like really kicks your butt. Yeah, it's brutal. It's absolutely <laughs> brutal. Yeah, no, no doubt. Uh, we, in fact, w- what was that? We did that hike. We don't have to name it, but we did that hike. And it's just like a hill. It's not even a mountain or anything. And yeah. It was all, how many miles was it? Do you remember? Are you talking about the Sweet Trail? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that one was like two and a half miles one way. Okay. Yeah. Two. Yeah. So it wasn't even that bad, but like we were just beat, you know, and again, it comes from the training all all week, you know. Yeah, it's just a very different kind of exercise from what we normally do. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But yeah, at the end of the week, it doesn't matter. If, even if we have the weekend off where we're not doing any sort of exercise, mm-hmm. I still feel exhausted on Saturday. Yeah, like, and it's just from like beating the shit out of our bodies throughout the week with the exercises that we do. Yeah, the exercises, and you know, I, well, anyway, we'll, we might talk about this, but other activities. The activities we're going to talk about here, yeah, I think. Yeah. Well, anyway, so <laughs> I've talked about on Sovereign Tech that uh, Muscle and Fitness Magazine and, of course, Flex Magazine had been out for a while, uh, basically stopped. Like, they, they, they're just, they're a website now. There's no more magazine. I was a subscriber and they, you know, one day they told me, hey, we're not sending these out anymore. You know, we're we're done and, you know, had to do with COVID, I guess, or at least that's what they're going to blame it on. But really, the magazine industry is, you know, kind of been dying for a while. Of course, other parts of the world besides America, it's still a huge deal. Um, and muscle, uh, muscular development, I think, might actually be technically out of the UK, even though I think they sell a US version that converts, you know, imperial metric to imperial and so on. Um, but so I get the PDFs of these because I still love magazines because it's a slower form of information, uh, which is healthy, in my opinion. Another, I mean, that's a point I've brought up many times on Cyber Tech as well. So I was reading through the most recent issue because uh, it was talking about what's going to happen at the Mr. Olympia event and all this stuff. And I was in awe at, they have a little, a segment, Muscle and Fitness had something similar, where there was a segment of the magazine that is all like quick shots of, um, you know, research data that has to do with health and fitness, right? Great things. So it's like the abstract of a scientific paper. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, they would, you know, they will put a link, even though it's a PDF or, you know, or a printed magazine, they'll, they'll tell you where they got the info from and all and so on. Um, but there were so many stories about sex. I was like, wow, this is loaded. I, I mean, it, it was, it was <laughs> weird. It just had like how many there were. And so I screenshot all of them. I was like, oh, well, they're all on the same page, right? Uh, over a couple pages. Okay. Yeah. And I just thought it was interesting because it wasn't like a sex guide or anything. It was just there was just that much, I guess, new research on the matter. And I think, you know, like you said, sex is one of the I mean, I would argue that sex takes you to the ultimate heights of the human experience of pleasure. Well, I can certainly verify that's true. There are no drugs that equal the pleasure that you get out of great sex. And you are an experienced person, as far yes. as I have none. <laughs> I mean, sex, uh, the, uh, no, I mean, I have plenty, but <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah. So, so you would, you would agree with that sentiment? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if people disagree, that's probably because they haven't had the ideal sex partner. Aha, aha. Well, this is where Sovereign Tech is here to help you. Because <laughs> um, not that you can rent me or, 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 or well, no, I'm not no, going to say we're, that. No, we're not for sale. Yeah, we're not for sale. Uh, but, <laughs> but we have some interesting info from this issue of muscular development. That I, and some of the stuff I, I was just, I was like, wow, I'd never heard that before ever. And, you know, it's funny. I, I think it actually is a good place to include sex stories in a muscular development article because... Well, sex is an exercise, amongst other things. Absolutely. Um, and I mean, I'll admit, I have no problem admitting, and I've said this over and over again, whenever I've talked about fitness, and I've gotten a lot of questions about fitness, you know, into Sovereign Tech. Um, I mean, one of the primary reasons that I work out, yes, I want to live a long time, but I want to look good naked. You know, like, that's really important to me. <laughs> so. Well, in addition, you want to be able to, like, perform. Right. You know? Oh, yes. Yes. And this is, a yeah. Speaking of the drugs or of drugs, I mean, I don't care what people do. They can have all do whatever the hell they want. Um, but, like, part of the reason I don't drink, I don't smoke or, you know, I never smoke marijuana or anything like that. And I've said this many, many times. Whiskey dick, stoner boner. And recently, you know, over the past couple of years, they found out what uh, smoking does to, you know, contraction of blood vessels and so on and cause and can cause penile problems. So no, thanks. It's probably a part of the reason that you modified your diet, right? To oh, be more plant-based. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Because yes. And, and it's not just because of that documentary, the game. I mean, because <laughs> a lot of people, there's a lot of controversy around that. I didn't need that to, well, no, you want your arteries nice and open. Yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> yeah, right, right. So, and I would argue largely that it's what I do works. Um, well, I, I agree. Yeah, <laughs> it <well>, works. <laughs> all right. Well, <laughs> do, do you mind if we get personal? Sure. Do I mean, we, what's the point of doing this podcast if we're not going to get a little personal? Yeah, well, f fair. Yes, I agree. Just want to make sure you're on board. So, now, genetics are a thing, right? I oh, mean, certainly. Yeah, uh, there are definitely genetic markers and, and attributes that you'll just never be able to change. Right. And that some people have different genetic expressions than others, say. But basically, I, and, and I've been this way pretty much my whole life, you know, more or less. But certainly being with you has, uh, has, has certainly brought things to a whole other level. Okay, but I'm 39, 
Um, and, and I'll just say, and you can verify this if you want, uh, you know, and it's not, it's not a, uh, it's not morning wood. I, I have, you know, I'm hard every morning and, and, and we basically, <laughs> we basically fuck every morning, like, like every morning now. And would you say this is every morning, more or less? <laughs> more or less. More or less. Yeah. Okay. Um, then middle of the day. Yep. Occasionally. Rock yeah. Yep, rock again. End of the night. In fact, sometimes it's like 8 PM. And then before we go to bed, whatever time that is, you know, 10, 11, 12. Like, like there'll, there'll be a double, you know, a double helping, shall we say, in the evening. <laughs> yeah, I mean, occasionally that's true, but I think you're a little over-exaggerating. Sometimes, I, the vast majority of days, it's, you know, just when we go to bed. Mm-hmm. It's at least seven times a week. I, I, I don't think, that, I think the vast majority, I think our average, it would probably average out to two times a day, but there are plenty of weeks where we, every day, regularly doing it three to four times a day. <laughs> and don't you think so? I, I I don't know that I would say like regularly. Well, well maybe like <laughs> I I think it, it, it's common enough. My my point is <laughs> is that if there if there is like an amount like a uh, you know I, I don't know if it is a gauge of health is how much how often you can have sex. I must be, and I'm not saying this to prop myself because I I'm just saying I must be doing it right, you know because yeah holy shit. And I mean, and and frankly, I mean, let's even if my gauge is off on how often that we we do it, um, it's only just because we run out of time. It is not from a lack of desire or physical ability. Yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly there are days where we're both really busy or right. you're really busy, um, but we always have time in the morning and at night. Yeah, but I mean, perfect world. I mean, we probably would be rocking, you know, three, four, five times a day. I, we try. There are limits yeah. to the body. Yes, <laughs> right, right. But and we found those limits. <laughs> we have explored those limits. Uh, those have been some interesting weekends. That's for damn sure. But uh, <laughs> so, well, anyway. But yes, you you are a perfect model of health, of male health, especially vitality and uh, potency, instead of impotency. I'll send you some Zcash later. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> My usual fare. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and of course that, that goes both ways, but, uh, not, 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 not male, but in your case, but anyway, um, so, <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's easy enough for me. <laughs> well, uh, we're, we're, yeah, we're going all, we're going there. So, all right, let, let's, why don't we talk a little bit about the story, shall we? All right. Uh, and, 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 and I'm sure more of this will come to light and, and we can kind of, you know, explain. Um, uh, so here we go. This is the first one. Uh, sex cuts heart attack risk. Uh, your here we go. Your excuse for skipping a workout is that you overslept or the weather stinks. Well, do you like having sex? A ten-year study conducted at the University of Bristol in the UK found that men who had three to four orgasms a week cut their risk of heart attack by fifty percent. So basically, I'm going to live forever. I mean, it's- yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're never going to have a heart attack. That's for sure. Right. Uh, let's uh, keep reading. And you don't have to be a sexual gymnast to get the benefits from man's favorite sport. Even men who admitted they barely move when making love receive the benefits. <laughs> Come on, guys. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> Get moving, boys. <laughs> uh, the researchers also suggested that sex is an excellent type of exercise for men recovering from a heart attack. Wow. So, yeah. I mean, I, from what I've heard, most people are afraid that like their heart's going to explode after an experience like that. But 
I guess the research says otherwise. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, let, let me read this last line. Um, okay. Here we go. So anyway, so make sex part of your wellness program. Our only question, do you need spotters for this kind of exercise? <laughs> I was shocked when I read that. strange question. I know, right? I was like, oh, that's pretty bold. You know, like, like I get it, but like that's... <laughs> That's ballsy, you know, for for uh, for a very popular, uh, uh, you know, fitness magazine. Yeah. What are they doing there? Are they trying to acknowledge that there are alternative relationship styles where right. maybe there's more than two people in the bedroom? I mean, they're they're clearly insinuating a threesome, you know, or or more. Uh, right. <laughs> I mean, holy shit, you know, which, by the way. All right. Real quick. We'll, we'll jump back on this. Babylon 5. Did your car have a foursome or not? I thought they were dancers. Ah, come on. They just went into his room to do a show. He was wearing nothing. He had a robe on. They were humans. And he does he, have a stone mattress. He's he's not a human yeah, by he, any stretch of the uh, imagination. I think they heavily implied that he he had a foursome. I I think they let it they leave it to the viewer's imagination. All right. Well, that's a rhyme. But <laughs> <laughs> and it's been going there Clearly. for decades. I mean, <laughs> you just like imagining sex wherever you can find it. Yeah, it's true. All right. So anyway, <laughs> um, okay. So here's the funny thing. Like, I, I mean, and, and I'm speaking, uh, no pun intended, straight from the heart here. Uh, I have had, even in recent years, plenty of times where like, you know, that stress that you feel where like you, you feel like, you feel it in your heart. Like you There's feel, like a dark burning in your heart. Yeah. Like I, I feel like I have been close to the point many times, far more than I should be to like where, wow, I, you know, I could have a heart attack after like four cups of coffee and, and you're like stressing out over some project that you have to get done. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think most of us can relate to that feeling. Yeah. I, I will tell you that I, I think literally, the only thing that has kept me from having a heart attack to this day is the fact that, and I'm not saying this is boast. I'm saying this is point of fact that I have, I've just fucked so much, you know, like, and I just have so much regular sex and, and like that, that keeps because most people can't do what I do. They can't do my schedule. They can't do, you know what I mean? Even over the years, like, I mean, that is the thing that has kept me alive. I think in a very, very real way. And I think that this, uh, this, this study out of uh, university of Bristol, I think proves the point is just research showing that. Possibly. I mean, this isn't new research and certainly there are many other health benefits besides preventing a heart attack that mm -hmm. sex provides to you. Um, I mean, it, the, the general feeling of well being that you get after having an orgasm, I think, uh, is, it can be applied to far more than just like your mental state or your mm -hmm. heart state. I mean, th there, there's a lot that goes on in your body. Sure. Um, anyway, yeah, maybe it is one of the reasons that you're still here. Yeah, I, 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 I think so. So, so that's, so there you go, boys, you know, if you want to, uh, and I, and who knows if it works for women as well, but if you want to, you know, lessen your possibility of getting a heart attack as, uh, you know, as we get older, and so on. Uh, well, three, four times a week or, you know, shoot for three to four times a day if you can. <laughs> oh my gosh. Sorry, I'm terrible. Do you have any other comment on this, Ellen? Um, 
Well, I find it interesting that they directed it towards men. I think men are more likely to have heart attacks than women are. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that makes sense. I wasn't sure if they were like try- thinking that only men would be reading this magazine or what. Um, but yeah, certainly there are benefits to women as well for having multiple orgasms a week. I wonder, I mean, you take this research far enough, this could become like the third thing that sex co-evolved for. Because sex, of course, is for procreation, one, but it co-evolved, as in at the same time, it co-evolved as a social lubricant. It co-evolved as a way of connection, okay? It's more than procreation, and it always has been. You know, the Puritans have been wrong this whole time. (laughs) Um, But I wonder if this could be like a third reason that sex evolved was a way of like regulating the body in in more ways than we know. Reducing stress. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, stress is the great killer. I mean, stress is behind, I would argue, everything Um, and and brings so much on. It's certainly behind a lot of... uh, like negative physical conditions yeah. that people have. Yeah. So I, I do wonder if this could be labeled as like a third co-evolved purpose behind intercourse uh, for humans. It's interesting to think about. Yeah. I mean, certainly there are people that live for months or even years without orgasms mm-hmm. um, and they seem to be all right. Yeah. I mean, I think of like, you know, monks or nuns, but there are probably other people in the world that are celibate. It does make you wonder too, because this does speak against like, and, and, and I know there's a lot of people who, who buy into this like Lao Tzu crap that, uh, Oh, he only came once a month or something like that. Or he only ejaculated once a month, but he would, he'd come. He just wouldn't let his life force go out of him. And that somehow that promoted health. I would argue not at all. Like this would seem to show quite the opposite. Um, what does that even mean? I know. He wouldn't let his life force go out of it? It's, it's stupid. And there's lots of libertarians that buy into this. Uh, like the no fat people bought into this crap from, from Lao Tzu. And, you know, they're reading the, whatever his book is, the Tao Te Ching and so on. And Lao Tzu is the worst of the Tzus, in my opinion. Uh, you want to re- read a real Tzu, read Mao Tzu. Or, uh, yeah, Mo Tzu. Not Mao Tzu. Mo or Sun Tzu. Sun Tzu is interesting, too. Yeah, certainly. Uh, it, it certainly would help you understand how the world works, um, unfortunately, today. What do you got? No, uh, sorry. I just didn't think that it related at all, but I'm glad you agree. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, I, I think there are three Su's, and that's not counting Sabzu. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, you have Lao Tzu, Mosu, and, uh, and, and Sun Tzu. And I think Mosu is the one, of course, he's the one that got his books burned. Gee, I wonder why, because he's a threat to the other two. Uh, but... Anyway, that, that's getting into a bunch of history. Um, yeah, so, okay. How about we get into another one of these little sex factoids? All right. Let's do it. Uh, this one, this was news to me. Uh, beware of sexual dehydration. Beware. Beware. Uh, many people are true sexual Olympians. Yes. Uh, during... <laughs> <laughs> hmm. uh, during sex, they that'd be a great thing to call you. You are a sexual Olympian. Oh, thank you. you I mean, no, <laughs> Take that as a compliment. Oh, well, yeah. Anyway, uh, so <laughs> during sex, uh, they work themselves into a frenzy of sweat, heavy breathing, and high body temperatures. While these sexual athletes may experience exercise uh, exercise loads similar to rigorous workouts, 
they seldom worry about sexual dehydration. They should. Improper fluid replacement might explain why many people get headaches or become lethargic after sex. A study by Dr. John Leiper from Aberdeen University, Scotland, showed that only two out of five people drink water after sex. In contrast, nine out of ten people drink water after uh, doing cardio or training with weights in the gym. So let's get more serious about the dangers of sexual dehydration. Either drink more uh, water after your bedroom romps or stop having sex. Oh, come on. They're being so dramatic about that. (laughs) No one's going to stop having sex just because they're a little dehydrated afterwards. And I get it. There are health dangers that come along with that. But Mm -hmm. you're not going to die from dehydration after having sex. Yeah, no, no. And and, and, and I I mean, and I'm not going to say who's doing it right or wrong or whatever. I don't mean to claim that. But I do think most people try to be as, I think a lot of people, Try to be as less physical, physically active as possible during sex. Like they try to minimize it. Really? I I think so. I don't think most people want to get all hot and bothered. A lot of people just, you know, and and look, there's times where even when you have a perfectly healthy or extravagant sex life, say, in comparison to the norm, where you just have times where you just feel like that. You know, maybe you just want to masturbate together or something. And that's great. Um, but I think the average person doesn't want to get very sweaty. I guess there's times like that, but I couldn't imagine like not really getting into it. You know, like when you get lost in the action, it sometimes you don't even realize you're working up a sweat. Yeah. Well, I mean, how many guys want to go down on a gal? You know, is it because they think it's gross or is it because eh, that's too hard? (laughs) You know, and and I, I, I it can't be that hard. Well, I think a lot. Well, I think a lot of guys are just like, eh, I don't want to do that. That, that. That's, you know, that takes work. In fact, it, no, I know it's not hard. <laughs> well, are you okay. Well, and sure. the vast majority of guys that I've been with don't have a problem with it. Well, well, I could get, I could get very personal and say I understand why, but I'm just saying that you know, like. But the thing is, yeah. So certainly, there are times where. You know, you want to be a little slower, a little softer, not get all sweaty. That's mm-hmm. that's nice. Yeah. That has its place. But I don't understand. Like, how 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 do you not, like, get yourself into a frenzy over it? Like, that, uh, I agree. That's kind of what it's about. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. Unless you're, like, really repressed or just generally out of shape. Well, there's a, certainly a lot of that to go around. And we're going to talk about that, actually. That, that that ends up being number three. But before we get to that, there's one in the middle. Okay. I, well, I haven't said everything I want to say about please dehydration. Please continue. Yes. Um, I, I don't know how this applies, but like generally I'll have a glass of water before going to bed because I take certain supplements at night. Yeah. Um, so I feel like having that glass of water beforehand does a good job for me. I don't know if like... It's exactly the same as drinking afterwards, but I feel like that's better than nothing, you know? Yeah, I agree. And, like, generally, we're people that pay attention to our hydration, you know? We drink multiple glasses of water throughout the day. Um, So, like, I think for people who are less aware of their overall hydration, that might be a problem. You know, for people who don't drink water. And there are people who don't drink water. Yeah. Because, at all. Yeah, exactly. They Which only is its drink own problem. Like juice or right. coffee or whatever. Right. Um, 
Yeah, so, so I mean, it's always a good idea to pay attention to your hydration, no matter what. Yeah, yeah. I just, I never really thought about it that way. I never thought about, like, that sex can be, and certainly for us, I mean, it can be a pretty rigorous workout. Yeah. And to consider that, well, you know, you might want to, I mean, not like I need to take some BCAAs before or afterhand <laughs> or anything, but, uh, or I need to drink a pre-workout before we go, but that might be interesting. But regardless, uh <laughs> Yeah, I just never thought about it that way. And I was like, well, you know, that actually that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. You know? Well, sometimes, you know, we do get thirsty in the midst. And if there's water nearby, we'll have a few sips. But yeah, yeah. it's not like a, a full glass or anything afterwards. And also, I think we're fortunate that our air conditioner points directly at where we're having sex most of the time. That's so, true. Yeah. Even if we do get sweaty, it's, it's not like it's dripping off of us or anything. And yeah. that's certainly been problems in the past. Yeah. Or led to problems in the past. Yeah, that's 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 very, very true. I mean, that's a whole other thing. If you get really sweaty, I mean, then I think it only makes sense. Um, but yeah, but, you know, I mean, that, another thing, too, I think that people ignore hydration over is the fact that, like, I think for also a lot of people, it's not. And I'm sure I've seen studies on this where, like, the average length of time that people have sex might be under five minutes. Oh, yeah, that's also true. Yeah, so... A lot of people, sadly, do not enjoy the full benefits of having a, a long, full sex life. Right, and it's not because they're they're wanting to have quickies or something, or, or because they're they're having quickies in the office. It's because, like, that's just generally how it goes. And so I, I guess most people, like, you don't think about it because most people don't even have... Like, there's times where we'll stop in the middle of having sex, and, like, you know, we, we will hydrate. Um, you know, we will have some water. It's like, hold on, let me have some water, you know, and then it's back to it. Uh, yeah. And I feel like anybody who's only having sex for five minutes at a time, like they're not paying attention to the woman's pleasure. It's all about the guy coming. Sure. Right. And then I mean, it's over. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause in five minutes, I mean, it, it's hard to believe that the average woman's motor gets running. If you know what I mean? No, I mean, generally it takes on average 15 minutes at least. Right. Exactly. 15 to 30. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So well, anyway, if you, if, you know, guys, gals, if, you, if you're not drinking water during, after, before, etc., start thinking about it that way. I think it's a great idea. But I mean, did you have more on that? I'm sorry. Yeah, I just feel like that piece of advice was kind of contradictory to the first one. You know, like, uh, you're supposed to be having sex to save yourself from heart attacks, but stop having sex if you don't drink water afterwards. Like, yeah. Right. <laughs> like, come on. Yeah. It's like, no, obviously... <laughs> Drink water. <laughs> yes, drink water. But I mean, it's always good to have sex. I agree. So <laughs> <laughs> Don't stop just because you're not drinking water. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I've heard, people have told me that, I've heard from people that they get headaches after like the orgasm or something. And that this is a condition. And I wonder if the hydration is, is might, might be key to the issue there. Maybe not. Possibly. I, I know that's a thing. I, I think that might be a slightly different issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like, there have been times where I've experienced headache after an orgasm, but it had, the like, it came on suddenly after the onset of the orgasm, which nah. I, th I think that points at something else, not just dehydration. Fair. Okay. Well, anyway, uh, want to go into another mystery? Yes. Here? Yeah. Uh, let's so explore. Mysteries of the Penis Uncovered. 
(laughs) The penis is still mysterious, even though it's been studied by science for, what, hundreds of years? Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about the mysteries of the vagina. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. Now, that's something that will be so much to explore. And I love exploring Mm -hmm. it. Um, Okay. (laughs) Uh, All right. So here we go. Does your penis have a name like Big Ed Excalibur or Galloping Thunder? (laughs) (laughs) Well, does it? Mine does. Yeah. I mean, actually, I didn't even name my penis. It was named by someone else. Um, I think, have I said it on the show before? I don't know. I know I've mentioned it But it's not something that I call it. Yeah. Well, we know you. (laughs) Okay. Anyway. um, Yeah. Rodimus Prime. I was going to say, I know what you call it, but that was being a a little nasty. So you're like sticking with that name. That's... That's what it is forever. It's just what I'm used to it being called. But, you know, and, and it's a good name, Rodimus Prime. Like, it, it works for me in a lot of ways. I'm a big Transformers fan. Rod, I mean, and Rodimus Prime is probably my favorite Autobot. But, no, I don't have to stick with that. I am I, I, I would certainly not argue with anyone calling it something else, you know? Okay, people, send in emails <laughs> to Brian. <laughs> Tell him what his penis name should be. <laughs> he said anyone. That's, yeah, well, okay. Not just anyone. <laughs> you can call it whatever you want, and I'll run with it. But uh, anyway, so. <laughs> I'm looking forward to hearing these emails. <laughs> Go ahead, folks. Send them in. Uh, let's continue on with the mystery of the penis here. Uh, anyway, many men think of their member as almost a separate entity from themselves. Leonardo da Vinci, while studying human anatomy, said that the penis has a mind of its own, but the mysterious workings of the penis are no joke to the 40% of men over 40 who have uh, who have trouble getting erections. Scientists are finally discovering how the penis works, how and why it gets aroused, how it relaxes, and how it communicates with the brain. According to an article in Scientific American, the penis is under full control of the brain and spinal cord. The sexual response is controlled by a balance between forces that excite and inhibit sex drive, and blood flow to the penis. The brain is the most important sex organ. Yeah, not something... I think I've actually said that on the show before. Yes, you have. Yeah, in episodes where we've talked about sex before. Uh, and and I... So you would agree with that? I think that's yeah, true for men and women. definitely. Yeah, I, and same. And I also agree that, like, the vast majority of your body's responses is a, a fine balance of excitory and inhibitory Signals. Drives and signals. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. So let me, I'll keep reading here. One of its major roles, the brain that is, is to keep the penis under control. That old saying, quote, don't let the little head do the thinking for the big head, end quote, has some truth because the penis can also send signals back to the brain. Psychological inhibition prevents erections in many men. Scientists are working on drugs that will alter men's and women's sexual responses to help them solve sexual problems. I don't know how I feel about the drugs. How about you? Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, if there's a psychological aspect that's keeping men impotent, then Mm -hmm. drugs are maybe a short-term solution, but it's not going to strike at the root of the problem. Bingo. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and that's basically exactly what I was thinking here. It's like, okay, so we're learning more that because we have so many sexual taboos, basically so many inhibitions as a society and they're different depending upon your society that's probably what's 
what might be causing a lot of this. Not all, not all. What do you think? Some of it might be um, just insecurities that people have. Yes. Personal insecurities. Yeah. Well, and this gets into a, a big deal is that, and I think this is where actually like hookup culture becomes a thing and why people can become addicted to hookup culture because to, to help with your inhibitions, to get past your inhibitions, usually to do so you need trust. You either need trust or you need to not care. Hookup culture comes in because you're never going to see that person ever again. Well, you might see them again, but maybe you, you don't have to have sex with them and there's no obligation to a relationship. Right, right. Trust is out of the equation, but so is uh, the opposite of trust. Like, like, I mean, you know, you being, say, chastised or something for what you want to do sexually or what you're into or et cetera is not might not be a part of the program. Okay. Yeah, the social repercussions. Well, I mean, they could vary, but. Essentially, you don't have any like individual relationship with that person that really requires you to work on yourself or change. Yeah, it's ultimately superficial. And so judgment is not a part of the program. Um, And so you can, you know, that can be a very exciting thing, right? I mean, novelty is another thing, too. Certainly that can overcome, I think, a lot of inhibitions. But regardless, judgment becomes the issue. Now, in a sexual relationship that is long-term or a relationship, you know, a romantic relationship that is long-term, you can work through, Hey, I have, I have X kink or I have X, I'm into X. I like this to be done, etc. And there is trust in that that is acceptable because again, it's a long-term relationship. Okay. And so, yeah, I, I feel like this understanding of our inhibitions you know, and what leads to, I mean, I, you know, one could get into an argument that perhaps hookup culture isn't the healthiest expression or a healthiest way to get past your inhibitions. Um, and I, you know, well, anyway, that, that gets into psychologizing a lot of things and that certainly gets into judgments, but I think this just, this plays into, yeah, the brain is the most important organ, not just because of like what, you know, perhaps what your imagination runs wild with or what you find sexy, but also just in like, what is inhibiting you? that's going on in your head, you know, and then that can lead to ED and all kinds of other things. Um, and that understanding that is, it is a back and forth, you know, uh, conversation between your penis and your brain. And that that is very real. That's something worth paying attention to and is worthwhile to pay attention to penis health overall. Thoughts? I mean, yeah, I mean, I, personally, I do not have a penis, yep. but, um, I think it's pretty interesting that there there is that back and forth communication between that sex organ and your brain. Yeah. And, you know, they're like your whatever is going on for you mentally can affect how that organ responds. Or sometimes that can respond to something that is taboo that you don't want other people to know excites you, but it happens anyway. Right. You know, so it it's just interesting that. Like the subconscious is so powerful over the sexual response. And certainly that's true for women too, but women have entirely different problems. Like women don't get ED, but uh, they could possibly have lubrication issues. But women can also have that for other reasons. It doesn't have to do with arousal. Right. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, like certainly 
the mental aspect plays into sex just as much for women, I think, as men do. Yes. Or as it does for men. Yes. Um, maybe not in the same ways. I'm not entirely sure. But how can we be sure? You know, we can never experience each other's minds. Yeah. Yeah. No, no I, I, I agree with you um, on, on all of that. And yeah, I, I mean, I do wonder if, you know, part of like in our sex life, I mean, it's in many ways a judgment free zone not to quote Planet Fitness or anything, <laughs> but, you know, that we can explore that. Mm-hmm. And if someone's not into something, fine, they're not into it, but we can talk about it and say, no, it's just, I don't want to do that. Okay, great. You know, and, and, yeah. you, and you move on, but it's not, it's not meant with a negative reaction. It's not meant with, oh, you sick fuck or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, it's not met with that. No. It's met with, okay, I understand that. That's just not me you know, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And like, even if there's something that happens that one of us doesn't particularly like, we can just talk about it. Exactly. Yes. And you know, every psych, uh, well, pick your term, every sex therapist or whatever, you know, will tell you how important communication is and all that. It's not just about being able to talk about things. I mean, this is how you are able to talk about things openly, but you've got to get rid of that judgment and you just got to be able to say, it's like, okay, I get it. You're into that. You know, we're all freaks. That's the most important thing I think for everybody to admit. (laughs) Is that right? We're all freaks. I'm not into that, but we'll move on. Yeah. And also equally important. I think we really genuinely care about each other and pleasing each other. And we want to know what makes the other person happy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you want to, you want, you, you take joy in the other person experiencing that level of pleasure. Yeah. You know? And so why wouldn't you want to know about the deep darks and, you know, in, in one's, you know, sexual uh, desires and kinks and all the stuff like, about, yeah, especially if they're the most exciting things. Yeah, sure. You know, and, and whatever. And, and there's lots of ways. I mean, here, here's the thing that, that people don't get is that you can have, all of these fetishes and kinks and all this other stuff. And you can, even if your partner can, even if you can just express them to your partner, your partner doesn't have to act them out necessarily. You don't actually have to have, I don't know, a threesome or a foursome or whatever other, you know, stuff you want to do, but you could, you could pretend it in your mind. And if your partner is is willing and accepting, I mean, you kind of can act it out if you wanted, you know, I mean, there's just, you there just are ways get... to experience the impossible without having to physically do it. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. But you've got to eliminate that judgment. You've got to get that judgment out of, out of the bedroom, you know? And, and, and that's, that I think leads to so many problems that nobody wants to admit to, you know? And, and I, I wonder how much that, I mean, it's, this is very interesting, you know, exploring that the penis and the brain have a much deeper connection than people ever realized, you know, now that that's proven. Um, well, if you ask Sigmund Freud, I mean, he's, oh. the, the, you know, he, he based a lot of his psychology around that. Yeah, that, 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 that is a huge subject, but yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Um, and I say it's a huge subject because he also used a lot of code words. And I think there's a lot of times where he meant one thing and meant another, but bottom line, it all did kind of come down to a lot of sex. So, or a lot of sexuality. Yeah. And I, a lot of his philosophy or a lot of his psychology was also ontological. Yep. Yeah. So instead of teleological. Yeah. Right. So that, I I feel like that can also be problematic. Yes. Uh, But anyway, you're right. 
there's there's a grand connection between the the psychology and the sex organs. Yes. Yeah. So try, you know, if we're to walk away with the tip, I mean, we've got a few tips here, you know, um, obviously you, you, you reduce your chances for heart attack. If, uh, you know, if you have more sex or three to four times a week, whatever drops by 50%, hydrate. Here's another one. Just get that judgment out of the bedroom. Like I, I think that that's really, really key. If there are psychological aspects to this, you gotta, gotta do something about that, you know? And yeah. And you have to be able to trust your partner. And like, there have even been times where like, I can tell you've been nervous to tell me about something. Yes. And, uh, I mean, I, I really applaud you for being able to face your fear in that instance and say what you're thinking. But I think that's another thing, too, is that you have to be fearless. Yeah. And and know the difference between because there's a lot of times where I want to express something because I've never put them to words. Mm-hmm. And it's very difficult. But that that's very different from not trusting you. Right. You know, and so you need to know that a person needs to know the difference. Like. Is it because you just have never said these words before and so you don't know how and that's totally valid? Or is it because you don't trust the person and you need to pay attention to which one's going on there? But I think a lot of times for people, it's quite literally they've never expressed it and they, you know, now's your chance. And it can be hard, but go for it. You know, but the only way you can even comfortably begin to do that is, again, you got to get rid of that judgment. Yeah, you have to have trust. Yeah. And yeah. patience. Yeah, Absolutely. So, all right, there's one more. Do you want to go for it? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so this is the argument for why you should work out. Uh, Working out prevents impotency. Uh, A man left the doctor's office and went to the nearest men's store to buy a tuxedo. His friend asked, what's up? The man said, my doctor says I'm impotent. Uh, If I'm going to be impotent, I have to look impotent. Woo! (laughs) (laughs) There is a grain of truth to that old joke. A man can look impotent. Uh, fat, out-of-shape men have a much higher risk of impotency than leaner, physically physically fit men. Dr. Carol Derby of New England Research Institute in Watertown, Massachusetts, studied 593 men aged 40 to 70 as part of the Massachusetts Male Aging Study. The more exercise the men did, the lower the risk of impotency. Uh, exercise improves blood vessel health throughout the body, including the penis. Some men have trouble sticking with their exercise program and showing up at the gym regularly. This should help them put a little lead in their pencils. So, I mean, I, I think that makes perfect sense. And this research has been done over many, many different strata uh, of how working out, you know, just leads to, can lead in and of itself to more sex, you know, in your life um, for varying reasons, you know, looking better naked or whatever, having that confidence um, or, I mean, here it is just basically showing based upon the percentage of men that, uh, you know, it helped with uh, resolving impotency uh, or, or there was a less chance of that, you know, necessarily happening. Does it have to do with blood flow and so on? Maybe, you know, um, go ahead. Yeah. In fact, I would argue that's probably the main benefit. Yeah. I mean, if I mean the penis overall and I don't mean to insult, but it's a very simple organ. Yep. No. You know, it's got a lot of nerve endings and sure. blood vessels and that's it. <laughs> and if if the blood vessels aren't filling with blood, then you can't get hard. Yeah, no, that's okay. I like my plumbing simple. Uh, so <laughs> this, <laughs> and the I, one of the great benefits of working out is the improvement of cardiovascular health. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the more you work out, the more efficient your heart is. The better it can pump blood to all of the places that your body needs it. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think working out there is an overall sense. There's a physical, which is what ultimately proves to you psychologically to the person, psychologically a virility, you know, that there, there is just like you feel for lack of a better term, because this is a very nebulous term. You feel a greater sense of power. All right. And that I think itself lends to you wanting to say express uh, you know, some of this physicality in certain ways. Yeah, you can do all those crazy positions and you can have sex for hours on end. Sure, right, right. Like, I mean, you can you can keep going, you yeah. know, and, and, and so on. And I think that this is this is such a key, a key thing because most people, and again, I, I know the word the term power is nebulous. I don't mean like power over people. I don't that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about internal personal power. Okay, personal, if you want to call it empowerment, all right, whatever, I don't know. But most people don't know what it feels like to be more powerful personally, to genuinely improve, okay? And now people that work out a lot get addicted to this because they get that, they they the work that they put in, they get the direct results out of it, right? Um, like 20 pounds, yeah, well, t- for you, Ellen, here. I mean, two years ago, 20 pounds felt a lot different than it does now, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Significantly heavier? <laughs> I remember a few, quite a few years ago, I worked at a grocery store, mm-hmm. and occasionally I would have to pick up these 50-pound bags of potatoes. Right. And it was so difficult for me. Like, I nearly toppled over every time <laughs> I did. Uh-huh. But now I can lift 50 pounds no problem. Right. I, yeah. I feel so... Uh, Powerful, I guess, just to prove your point. Yes. Yeah. And so this is the sensation that people don't know, that they that they don't experience. And like there's people who think, and this speaks more to the power over. Okay. And, and the part of the problem is, is that society is constantly telling you what successful and what powerful looks like. It usually has to do with maybe more zeros in the bank account, right? More zeros after the one, like we were talking about earlier. Right. But then you talk to rich people, a lot of them lead very empty lives, you know, very empty. They don't feel like a sense of fulfillment. They don't, even they don't really know what like personal power feels like. Everybody in the world can know what this feels like. And when you suddenly get that sense of it, you just want more. That doesn't mean you want to become, you know, a meathead or whatever, uh, you know, and you start hitting steroids and all this shit. I mean, that that's not about that. Okay. But when you know, a lot of people, A, don't like themselves, okay? And then this is something, you know, that, that most people don't want to admit. It's absolutely true. I've even spoken to people who say, I don't have to like myself. That's what I have friends and lovers for. Yeah, right. <laughs> there you go. Okay. So a lot of people don't like themselves. And I'm trying to think of how I want to say this, but basically... They don't believe that they can be better. They don't believe that they can improve. They don't They don't understand their own ability because they've never had the sensation of what that's like. And that's because the bulk of what society tells you is, quote unquote, you being better or even healthy uh, is bullshit, you know? And that's so sad. Yeah. Because literally anyone can experience this feeling of improvement. Right. Right. And so, you know, if you just work out and you and you stick with it, 
It's going to take you a little bit. But after a few months, and when suddenly you recognize, hey, wait a minute, I lifted that up so easily. Holy shit. You know, that sensation affects your entire body, your physicality, your mentality. It affects everything. Yes, it does. I didn't believe you when you first said this, but now I get it. Right. Right. Um, And there's a deeper conversation, frankly, that we could get into with a lot of that. But I think that that's why a lot of people that I or I do think that for a lot of people, yeah, if you work out, guess what? That, you know, that's going to help you in the sack. And it's not for the reasons of looking better and all this other stuff. It's just there is this overall sense inside that you are something more than you were, you know, and, and that just gives you a confidence that no mirror, no, you know, there's nothing in the world that, or no amount of likes on, on, on social media could possibly give you. It is a sense that only you can feel, everybody can feel it, but that only you can feel for yourself by putting in the work yourself. Um, and I think that translates to the bedroom ultimately as well. So, which yeah, is, I mean, it, adi- in addition to the extra stamina and strength that you get, just, mm-hmm. you know, which contribute to being able to perform. Yeah. And being able to have sex for long periods of time. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but you're right. The the feeling of personal empowerment that you get from that is ultimately the most important thing. I mean, if sex is psychological, well, you better love yourself when you're getting into a situation like that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, and I, you know, actually, this gets kind of Randian because, like, I think I and Rand kind of laid this out in an Atlas Shrugged apps, actually. And in fact, there's a point where, like, we're, we're Francisco even says like, show me who somebody's sleeping with and I'll tell you all about them. You know? Right. Um, there is wrong as Rand was about a lot of things. There's one area I think she might've, you know, hit it on the nose. And in fact, there's even the point where um, Dagny Taggart's brother, like he sleeps with that cashier gal or whatever. And, you know, he hates himself and it's just like an unfulfilling experience. And I think, Part of the reason, perhaps, that the average amount of time that people have sex for, again, being five minutes or less, might come down to, a lot of it might come down to that they just don't like themselves, you know, and it, and it just becomes ultimately an unfulfilling experience. Like, they feel the drive, right? They feel the biological drive or whatever, to, you know, to have sex, or they get turned on for a minute or whatever, but then it just, like, completely fades away. But I think that that's a, that's a huge part of what's going on for so many people is that they don't even know what it feels like to, they don't know what it feels like to just feel good, you know? And this is such an easy thing to do. Yeah, it takes time. But man, when you first get that feeling, when you suddenly realize, holy shit, this is easier for me today than it was yesterday, and it cost you nothing, you know, uh, there's no feeling like it. So anyway, and, you know, helps the sex great. So yeah, and ultimately it helps you love yourself more. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, you know, that's where the start of being able to express love and empathy to anyone else begins. You've got to love yourself, you know, and you've got to empathize with yourself. But, um, and it's part of exploring you. If you're so hot on, oh, no, I don't care if we explore the oceans. I want to explore inside me. Well, get get to feeling these sensations, man, because it's awesome. (laughs) So, (laughs) anyway, uh, anything anything else you want to bring up on that? I mean, we could talk about... The wonderful aspects of working out for so long. Yes. But um, as far as it relates to sex, I, I think we've pretty much exhausted this list. 
Yeah, yeah, but great, great, fun stuff. Yeah. You know, and interesting stuff to take away, stuff, a couple things I never even thought about uh, that I think are, are just, just remarkable. And, and that co-evolution thing, I wonder about that. <laughs> we'll have to find some studies, see if there's anybody else that's wondered about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so anyway, um, we'll be right back with some more software. Hello, Sovereignati. As you know, Sovereign Tech proudly no longer puts content behind a paywall and makes thousands of hours and episodes available to you totally for free. But if you feel that stirring in your cockles or that special feeling in your heart, I beseech you, nay, I implore you to help the show out by donating. Frequenting our sponsors is key, but donations from listeners like you has always made the show go round and round. You can go to SovereignTech.com to set up an automatic monthly donation, or you can donate via the Bitcoin address in the show notes. And now you can even donate with the Cash app at Cash.app and use the money tag SovereignTech. So many ways to help out the show, and I'm honored by all of it, allowing us to build and be the future. Now, let's get back to the show. Now entering the gaming grid. The latest gaming news, reviews, and retro culture, as only the man of tomorrow can deliver. And here is your host, Brian Sodrin. It is time for the gaming grid, the segment of the show where, well, we talk about video games and uh, I haven't, I don't think we've done this with you, Ellen. No, I, I generally don't play video games and wow. it's not because I don't love them, but it's just because of my addictive personality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you are constantly controlling yourself. Yeah. Uh, from, you know, real quick, I, I want to say before we get into that. I, I've always felt on Sovereign Tech, it's important to talk about sex and talk about sex, you know, more unconventional sex as well, you know, or at the very least, just be very open and brazen. And part of the reason I've always felt that is that I just don't think there's enough people that are. No. And that's part of getting past all of these things, all these unhealthy, you know, what you could call unhealthy platitudes of, uh, you know, that muscular development was bringing up. Yeah. And kudos to you. Well, I appreciate that. But I mean, I mean, there are like, I'm just, like outside of California. I mean, there's plenty of people in California who talk about like crazy ass sex shit that they do, you know, and whatever. That's great. But outside, you know, where there's like real people. Um, yeah, you don't get enough of it. And so I don't think we can really get anywhere or get towards healthy sexuality if people don't. So I've always taken the time when I thought that it fit you know, to discuss it. So anyway, I appreciate you being willing to talk about it as well. Ellen. Yeah, of course. So, yeah. It's no secret. Yeah. So, uh, you know, sex and video games. I mean, that's certainly part of our life. <laughs> Some of the best parts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but um, video games. Yeah. You, you have to hold yourself back because you'll, you'll, well, t you tell me. I mean, oh, I really do. Well, I, I mean, as far as most of the video games that we've played together, I mm -hmm. mean, I just kick your ass. 
And yes, actually, <laughs> pretty much everyone. Um, and and I am no slouch of a gamer. No, but, uh, you play a lo- well. Whenever you have free time, I mean, I, like most days, you're able to get in a little bit of gaming. Yeah, you know, maybe 10, 15 minutes somewhere. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. But I mean, even throughout your life, you've played so many different video games that I've just never even heard of. Right. Um, and a lot of the games that we play together that I beat you in, uh, frankly, they're games that I played when I was a child. Right. Um, right. like Mario Kart comes to mind. Yes. Uh, yeah. But you beat my ass. I mean, not just on the GameCube version, Double Dash, but, uh, but also Mario Kart 8. Yes. The latest yes. for the Switch. You, you totally destroy me on that pretty well, much every the time. physics were only slightly different. Right. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there, the, there are others. And um, I love games so much. I just, I, I love exploring all that there is in a game because it's such, uh, like, it's not even just like an adventure. It's mm-hmm. also an exploration of the art, you know, and, and as much as I love exploring in the real world, you can also explore this giant creation that somebody else has, you know, spent years of their lives putting together. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um and you generally, minus maybe Mario Kart, you seem to play the big stuff. And 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 I love it. And and I don't mean big stuff like Call of Duty, fuck that shit. No. I mean I mean the big stuff that's like grand in scale and 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 has a lot of strategy involved. I am um, certainly a strategic person. I love strategy games. You you certainly are. Uh so <laughs> probably so th- this all started and and I, I actually I forget how it started, but you I mean I bought I basically got my hands on a GameCube so we could play Mario Kart Double Dash. Yeah. And down and Mario the lo- And Mario Sunshine, too. Mar- yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, I mean, there's other games I want to play on it, too, like uh, uh, the Star Wars games for the GameCube are second to none. Um, but... It might have a- just started when we were talking about, like, games that we used to play when we were younger. And yeah. And we found out that we both really liked those. Yeah, but I, like at some point, when did Roller Coaster Tycoon enter the picture? I know you played it when you were young. In fact, both games we're going to talk about are from 1999, which I find <laughs> to be very interesting. So the year that I first started using computers. Okay, all right, that's fair. Um, yeah. So Roller Coaster Tycoon. I don't remember how it came up specifically, but that. That is an example of a game that I was absolutely addicted to when I was right. a kid. Um, you know, I I would like fight my sister trying to get more hours on the computer because you know we shared computers back then. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I just loved it, and and that's why I avoid games so that I don't waste my entire life playing them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I can't even do it a little bit. I I have such a hard time controlling myself. Did you ever play World of Warcraft? No, no, I never did. Okay, just as well. I mean, that that was one where, like, holy shit. Like, I, that was a game where, that's one of the few games where I feel like what you just described. Where it's like, ah, no, I would, like, just give up my life to this, and that, that's a waste. Well, there there was a solid six months of my life that I lost to Skyrim. Oh. Mm-hmm. A few years back, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, all right, so you're one of those. But now, let's... <laughs> <laughs> So Roller Coaster Tycoon, at some point you mentioned it. And I was like, well, yeah, I'll get that for you. And I and I bought it for you on or I bought it on GOG. 
I was telling you not to get it, but you yeah. got it anyway. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I think, so what was happening was you were like really stressing out with, you know, university. Yeah. And you wanted to do something to relax, you know? And I was like, well, yeah, and I don't think I asked you what game you wanted to play, but I don't know. It somewhat, somehow it came up during that. And so you just needed something to unwind and, you know, whatever. And Because and- I never did fun things. I was yeah. always studying. And I just, I was desperate for fun. <laughs> right, right. Or like mindless time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I don't think I even had the Switch yet. Like, I, Or maybe I did. I don't know. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But. You got a game that I used to play that I love. It, you didn't try to like get me to play some game that you loved. No, right, right, right. Um, Which I, I really appreciate. Because I've had people do that to me before. And it's like, it's like, it's nice, but it's also annoying. What you did was very considerate. Well, see, that's the thing. So with me, I pride myself ultimately on being an entertainer. And which you are. Yeah. No, no <laughs> one. Yeah. Like any, anyone, whatever. I mean, I just, I guarantee a good time and whatever somebody like considers a good time, I'll make it happen. Uh, in fact, I remember like there was a list of like the benefits of dating a hacker and <laughs> I'm not going to claim to be one, but the benefits of, of dating a hacker and like number five was you'll never need to buy another piece of entertainment ever again, ever. <laughs> right. I was like, yeah, that's so odd. That's so true. Um, but anyway, I, I did. I mean, the game cost five bucks. I did buy it. But <laughs> but yeah. So the roller coaster tycoon. OK, so this is this is one that you were really into. This kind of got you on your kick. You ended up coming off of it eventually. That turned into Age of Empires 2. But before we get to that. Roller Coaster Tycoon. Tell me why this game. Oh, gosh. I, well, the first great thing about Roller Coaster Tycoon is that you do get to be the entertainer. That's true. As the person yeah. building the theme park. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I don't want to simplify it down to just that. I mean, there's certainly strategy involved. And, uh, you know, like you have to get the baseline economy rolling. Mm-hmm. You have to get a steady stream of money coming in before you can start doing the really crazy stuff. And in many ways, building up the foundation that will ensure the longevity of the the long term success of mm-hmm. your theme park. I Like to me, it's a metaphor for a lot of other things, too. Okay. But that's really like the most successful strategy that anybody could use for uh, approaching like so many problems, but also this game which is what we're talking about right yeah. now. You know, uh, so you, so you it, it's all about the bread and circus. I mean, like, that's what I've learned from these games is that, like, once you get that base established, like, you make sure people have places to eat and whatever, uh, and then there's, like, the, the most foundational rides of a theme park, you get those in, and then you can start doing the crazy stuff. And that's really when the fun begins. I mean, like, not that the the beginning part that I just mentioned isn't fun, because it is, because you get to, like, mm-hmm. you know, strategize about where you're going to place things and how many of each thing you're going to have. Uh, you have to, like, make sure security guards are there so that people don't vandalize your benches, and you have to have, like, handy men to sweep up the vomit from people riding rides that they're just not ready to ride. It's too intense for them or whatever. Um, there's also like, you know, you get to design roller coasters. Right. 
you actually get to build them. Yeah, and like your own designs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they have some pre-made ones, which make it easy. But I think, um, and I I didn't get to this intensity of addiction with mm-hmm. this game. Uh, but there are certainly scenarios where you are tasked with designing very specific kinds of roller coasters. And they have, um, like, the intensity and the thrill and the nausea rating, and you have to, like, fit your roller coasters within these certain specifications. Right. Um, Like, it's easy enough to build a roller coaster that's too intense for people. Like, they look at it, and it's scary, and they're not going to ride it. Um, Which, of course, to me, I look at it, and I'm like, I would get on that thing. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, so it just teaches you, like, sometimes you have to constrain yourself when you're building these things, too. Yeah, I mean, so it's it's kind of... Basically, it's SimCity with roller coasters. I had never played SimCity. I mean, I played The Sims on the GameCube, (laughs) which was another one that I was really addicted to. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, that's how I see it. I mean, I've played Roller roller Coaster Tycoon. Um, I don't think I had the same passion that that you have for it. I mean, like, so, like, the fun things, because, I mean, there's times where, because, like, people can complain about your park, right? About your theme park. Mm -hmm. And there's times where... You know, that'll happen when you're playing and you'll basically say you can all fucking die and you do find ways to kill them. And like you drop them into vats or, or, or you have the roller coaster crash or something. And, and I'm trying to I'm trying to square the circle here. And <laughs> this is the, one of my favorite things about video games is that you get to be the evil mastermind <laughs> if you want to be. Yeah. And. There are ways to do it on Roller Coaster Tycoon, just like there are in almost any game. Oh, I hey, you're talking to the guy whose favorite game of all time is Star Wars TIE Fighter. I mean, I'm wiping out the heroic rebels right and left and mm-hmm. doing so with a smile on my face. So. And there's a sick satisfaction in yeah, it. Right? Absolutely there is, yes. And I am serving the Emperor, the you know, the personification <laughs> of evil in the universe. Uh, yeah. Continue. And it's like things that I would never do in real life, but it, you still experience the thrill of doing something <laughs> bad. <laughs> This is uh, this is the allegory for like how you know you can imagine doing things in the bedroom, right, and getting freaky mm-hmm. without having to actually do them. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Right. So like, uh, we're I, all freaks. <laughs> so there are times where on Roller Coaster Tycoon, people are are not happy. They want to leave, or they they don't like something. They think something costs too much money. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, then you can spend a year in hell and wow. <laughs> just like create this depression. Where there, there's like a few restaurants and a bathroom, but it's all super expensive, and they're never leaving. Mm-hmm. And and you have that power in Roller Coaster Tycoon. <laughs> you can just pick someone up and drop them off in a different area. I mean, I, <laughs> I, mean, I kind of get it. Like when I played, I mean, I played SimCity a lot. Uh, SimCity two thousand, three thousand, all. But I know I did it. Like, I made this amazing city, got it to work, you know, very operationally and everything. But all I wanted to do was get it to the point where it would be the most glorious as soon as I started unleashing tornadoes (laughs) and earthquakes and and conflagrations and, you know, just as much destruction. Like, and I would let the crime just go wild at some point. Defund the police? Oh, SimCity? In a heartbeat. As soon as it got big enough. And, you know, I mean, it'd be so, so bad. Um, So I hear that, you know, and anyway, I just don't want you to feel alone in your your sadism. Well, I discovered that 
you can you can make uh, rafts like little dinghies that go uh-huh. on on water slides. They can explode. Oh, <laughs> see, these are the hot tips that they don't put in the manual. No, right. no. All right. See, all you do is you make people go over two bumps, <laughs> and the second drop, typically, they'll just fly off. I love it. <laughs> or you know, there are roller coasters that you can set to where they have a like a power shoot. Yeah. Like like the the engines kick in and and they really they they shoot the roller coaster off at high speed, and sometimes the track just isn't long enough to. <laughs> But and I know this sounds you're psycho. building the hyperloop. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. Okay. Yeah, all right. you know sometimes I just don't test it before I put people. On. <laughs> <laughs> this is how science gets done. You know. But the thing, it's just it's so much fun to do when it's a video game. I would never actually want people to get hurt, but like, it, I think everybody can experience this sort of thrill. I mean, that's why people play GTA. That's why. Uh, sure. You know, people play. Um, you know. Uh, Call of Duty. Well, I think there's yeah, sure, yeah. I, I I hear you. I think there's there's yes. Okay. I mean, we'll even when I played Skyrim, I was like, uh, I was so adept at pickpocketing and breaking into locked things mm-hmm. and and like stealing and murdering. Like I shoot flame out of my hands at, at guards. You know, I was wanted in many cities. It's just it's fun. Yeah, I mean, and, and and yes, and you don't have to justify it, but I mean, like, there, you know, there's no, like, you don't have to have an empathetic response, like, because it's not real and you no. know it. Yeah, so, you absolutely know it. Right, right. Um, because, I mean, I, I can, I mean, I don't want this to go dark. I want it to be fun. But, I mean, I can say personally, like, that there is a wild difference between a first-person shooter and actually being in the middle of, like, a battle and, like, I mean... You know, you can go through all the levels of pick your first person shooter. Uh, you won't throw up once. Do it in real life. Watch how many times you spew. You know, so absolutely. You're absolutely yeah. right on that. But anyway, we're going to move on from that. That's a great point. Um, I also want to make the point that, like, I, I feel like, at least in my case, this is evidence that video games don't create real violence. No, they don't. No, they have nothing to do with it. And they it. don't desensitize for a second. No, I mean they—they—they they, they just. I really, 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 really feel that, um, and and I think I have a lot of uh, at least anecdotal evidence to to to, to prove that point. But regardless, um, would you say that offing people in large numbers is the is the true joy of the game of, of roller coaster tycoon? <laughs> No, I think on occasion it can be, but if that's your whole goal, it's not going to be that fun of a game. There's better games. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, like, like Age of Empires. Like, that's not the purpose of this game, uh-huh. but if it happens, oops. Happy accidents. Yeah. Like, uh, like, <laughs> like Bob, Bob Ross, Ross says. Say, you know? Like, I call those tree urchins. Yeah, they flew out of the roller coaster, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, so I did, after, like, Three months or so, I I got exhausted with Roller Coaster Tycoon. Nah. I mean, there's only so many roller coasters that you can build, and like I didn't even get through all of the scenarios. I got through maybe half of them. Um, it, you know, like I just I get the strategy. The game is limited. It doesn't expand beyond what I've already done. Right. I could keep going and building more elaborate roller coasters, uh, but that just wouldn't be fun for me. I mean, like, what am I going to get out of that? 
Yeah, so it has limitations to replayability. Like there exactly. is a point where you just get so damn good that you're just like, all right, that's enough. Yes, yeah, that's what yeah. it is. I've I've mastered the game. Yeah, yeah. I no, I I can hear that. I, there's there's plenty of games where I I feel that way. Um, I, I mean, I prefer my games to have like a set story, personally, and you can complete that story and then you're done. Um, and I don't know if that actually comes out of any like fear that I will just keep playing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it doesn't have an end, but I, I really like things to have an ending. I like things to get, you know, it can set up for a sequel. That's fine. But I like it to have an ending. Well, I really like the games where you're presented with a scenario and you have to work your way through it. Mm-hmm. And uh, you have to like find a way to prosper and win. Like puzzle solving. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. that's, more or less what happens in Roller Coaster Tycoon. You're given these different scenarios, different challenges, and, like, you're given the same tools, but you have to use them in different ways. Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately most video games can come down to some form of puzzle solving, unless it's, you know, Pong or something. I mean, even then. Um, Well, there are games, too, where you just, like, you know, scroll through and mash buttons. Yeah, button mashers are a thing. That's for sure. So... How does Age of Empires 2 enter this? <laughs> I mean, let me let me I guess let me preface a little bit in saying this is easily, I think, on just about any list of greatest games of all time. It probably makes almost every one. Uh, particularly two. I like three better, but I understand the appeal to two. In fact, a lot of games have just taken the engine from Age of Empires 2 whole cloth and become whole other games like Star Wars Galactic Battlegrounds, and there's a bunch of others. Um, this is a game that's been re-released now three times or, or, or re-released twice from its original version. So it's been released three times. Wow. Uh, you have the original Age of Empires 2, which had multiple expansion packs. Then you had Age of Empires 2 HD edition. And now you have the definitive edition that Microsoft came out with um, about a year or two ago. And that's the one you and I have been playing, but that you have been playing pretty obsessively. Uh, (laughs) and by obsessively you mean like maybe two hours every three days yeah sure i i mean you certainly you get in i mean and you are great at it like it's insane now i mean now let me be clear like so when we do multiplayer um granted i'm not the most familiar with age of empires 2 but i mean you just you kick my ass like you're so far you know above and beyond yeah, I, I generally am leaps and bounds better than you at that game. Yes, yeah. Now, I mean, <laughs> I love real-time strategy games. I mean, I love them. Dune 2000, Command & Conquer, Command & Conquer 3. I mean, Age of Empires 3, big fan. I mean, a lot of these. The thing is, I... And, and, and I know that, like, the modern gaming industry hates people like me because I really don't... Uh, multiplayer? I mean, it's fun to play with you and to spend time with you. That's great, even if I'm getting my ass kicked. Uh, though the other night we finally did where we were on the same team. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, Until my computer froze. Yeah. <laughs> but I, 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 you know, finished the day. Yeah, we, you did. We won. Um, but um, And I was able to give you some tips. Yeah, yeah. I don't but, know that you, like, follow them. But... No, that was good. That was good. So, but I mean, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just not one for multiplayer. I, I really, unless it's, like, in person in, like, GoldenEye or something. But mm-hmm. uh, actually, I think we, we played that, didn't we? We, we played. We did. We, yeah. I, I bought N64 controllers, the whole thing, and uh, you you handily kicked my ass in that as well. And that we actually shoot each other in that game. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I was, I was, man, that was, that, that was it was bad. fun. Yep, I, 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 I was slaughtered. Um, so Age of Empires two, like I get it. I, again, I love RTSs. I love real time strategy, but I, I like the story. I get, give me the story and more unique missions and everything. Um, but tell me about what what is the appeal for you with Age of Empires two. Well, um, fortunately for you, Age of Empires 2 does include storylines. Uh, oh, if yeah. you ever play by yourself, it, in fact, they're real stories from historical battles and events. Yeah, like even the the, the, the uh, tutorial is your William Wallace. Right, exactly. Uh, yeah, yep. And you can play entire campaigns where you follow certain historical figures through mm-hmm. these series of, of challenges. Um and a lot of the times they do involve battle, uh, but m- there are some times where it's just finding a way to survive long enough to make it to the certain point. Um, but what I really love about Age of Empires, well, first of all, it's almost the same. In in a sense, it's the same as Roller Coaster Tycoon, where like it's about the bread and circus. You have yeah. to get your economy rolling. Yeah. Uh, which involves like building up a lot of food, getting your people rallied so that they're like gathering resources. And that is the basis to a good game. But mm-hmm. like that's such an essential piece of strategy. And once you learn that, then everything else becomes a whole lot easier. Uh, How much do you micromanage? I mean, like, are you really like constantly like is your mouse just clicking away at all times? Oh, and, yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and like you're always making sure you're uh, your your surfs or. um or whatever the what do they call the peons, the villagers, the villagers, yeah. Um, that they, I mean, like you're always like making sure they're on on their toes. You're yeah. Well, there's this idle villager button that mm-hmm. you can click at the top, which will show you when a villager is just standing there doing nothing. And to me, that's wasted time. You oh, you got to get back to your job. Get your ass to work. Boy. Yeah, exactly. So I'm always <laughs> I I always like keep an eye on that. And, and if I have idle villagers, and sometimes like. 12 villagers will go idle at the same time because they've mm-hmm. run out of gold to mine or whatever. So you send them to do something else. Um, but yeah, I, I always make sure that my villagers are busy. Uh, I always set up defenses around my main city. You know, that's really important. You don't want like your town center to be destroyed at the beginning of the game, you know? Right. Um, and yeah, I think it's really important to explore, to know it's around you. Uh, you know, these are just parts of the strategy. What keeps you coming back? Like, what keeps you coming back to this game? You know, that's a really good question. And I, I think it has a lot to do with um, just the, the different challenges. You know, you're you're given the same set of tools, uh, but can you survive in this scenario or that one? Mm-hmm. And I like to feel like I can survive in almost any situation. Is and there, I feel like the simulation kind of shows, like, you know, if you're if you're nimble enough, you can. Yeah, I mean, I've seen you decimate pretty pretty large towns and cities and all that, you know, in, in the game. I mean, is is there is there a special joy in you know, like just just wiping out? Yeah, there. An you know, culture. there really is. <laughs> <laughs> You know, when when the battering rams roll in and you've got a bunch of hussars protecting them and nobody can stop them from destroying the castle and the town center and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like the siege workshop. It's it's really it. I feel powerful. You are a dangerous person. I mean, (laughs) 
it, no, I mean, it, it, it's brilliant and I, and I totally get it. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, you, you really like keep going back to that game and, and like, if you were trying to tell somebody why to play age of empires two, like, what, what do you think you'd say to them? Well, probably what I just said, you know, also there's, there's so much detail that you can't win the game just by brute force. Like you can't like just that. produce a large enough army and hope to win. Right. You know, or you could win by like having a wonder stand long enough and everything. I mean, I really do appreciate that the game yeah. gives you a lot of options. It's not just about, you know, building the meat grinder. Exactly. Yeah. Right. But the thing is like, you could build an army 200 strong and still lose mm-hmm. because you didn't use the right people and yeah. different, uh, different people. Uh, people, different warriors have different strengths and weaknesses. Right. Um, and there are ways that you can like even save a bunch of resources, like having monks so that they can heal your people so they don't keep dying, you know? Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of, there's just, there's so much detail in the strategy. Uh, and that's like, that really does appeal to me. Uh, but I guess what keeps me coming back is again, just that, uh, I like to know that I can, you know, solve my way out of almost any puzzle. Hell yeah. I I, I think that's pretty insightful. I, I mean, I was amazed. Like, like some of the variety in this game. Like, there was a multiplayer map that we did. Uh, was it the Nile? The yeah, Nile the Delta Nile Delta, like. yeah. And the fact that, like, the, and I know other RTSs have done this, but it, it just seemed really, like, it really made you think differently where all there's not just resources nearby like mm-hmm. you're and in fact you're going to have to take boats to get from one you know like maybe there's wood on this island but there isn't stone or gold right and i i mean granted you can build a market and all this you know but, but <laughs> I, I thought that that way after you told me you don't uh, use the market <laughs> because the market. they don't give you good prices no i'm kidding <laughs> no i'm not no because you're cheap <laughs> That's true. I, that, that was the first I'm thing sorry, I said. It's you're like, frugal. No, I'm Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't want to say it. I'm glad you did. I'll say it. Uh, bringing it full circle here in the episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, but I thought that was like brilliant. I was like, oh, I like this, you know. And 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 there are a lot of elements to it that I that I really really dig, uh, where it does allow you to do some really unconventional strategies more so and that will work more so than a lot of rts's and i think that might be i mean there are people i think this is the game where there's like a guy who's been playing the same mission for 20 years wow uh i think it's this game and i could understand why because you know not that the ai is that good for the computer well you can select different difficulties but sorry continue no, yeah, but I mean, but you can make it challenging enough and you can create challenges if you want to try different strategies and everything. And it, it is, I also see it as a game that like you could play forever. Like, I mean, that you, that you could just keep coming back to. It's that good. Uh, and there are very few games that I could ever say that about um, where it's something that, you no, know, I just say keep coming back and keep coming back and, you know, getting better at it and so on. And it's not in like a feel good way. Like, I think a lot of people, I mean, and certainly I do this too where sometimes you just want to play a game and just be mindless about it, I instantly put in Super Mario Brothers, the original, right? Because, I mean, you just, you just know it so well. 
you know? And, yeah. and so you can just play it, but it's still fun. Mm-hmm. And so you can just play it and you can just go through it. And you can, I mean, I've beaten that game more times than I could count. You know, there's no real great story to it either. You know, it, It's just something that, I mean, it's not just nostalgia. It's just something, you know, that you can do. It's like second nature, right? Um, it's, this is not one of those cases where that it's necessarily second nature. It's just because Maybe it's for const- you. Yeah, but I mean, but it's just something where it's constantly re-engaging you. Yes. And 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 I I think it's brilliant for that reason, you know, and and that it is endlessly playable. Yeah, and amazingly, uh, you can create your own scenarios. Like, you Mm -hmm. can build your own map, which I used to do a lot when I was younger. But I I don't feel the need to do that now. Uh, With this edition of the game, there are so many options for you to choose from that you don't need to. Right. And I think it has like a, I think they allow for mods where you can have a modding community come, you know, build all their shit and you can just play forever. Yeah. That's, that's pretty, that's pretty slick. Um, which I, I mean, modding is, is a whole other thing, you know, that that's beautiful that you rarely get on consoles. Uh, that's kind of changing, but that that's an advantage to PC gaming in, in general. So, uh, yeah, I mean, two games that I think are absolutely brilliant. One is both timeless classics, even though, like you say, Roller Coaster Tycoon only goes so far, right? Yeah, yeah. Whereas with Age of Empires, I don't feel like that's true yet. Right, right. But, well, we'll see. We'll report back in, like, three months <laughs> right. from now. Is Ellen still playing Age of Empires 2? We'll see. So, <laughs> um well, anyway, I, I think that's interesting. Like, you know, what what games does does Ellen like to play? And I can say she plays them a lot, or, I, or when when she has the time. I like to play a lot of different games. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, as far as like which games I'm actually playing now, yeah, it's just Age of Empires. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we don't have a lot of time to play games together, but right. we we pretty much already beat Mario Kart Eight. Yeah, so we, I mean, like, we can completed go, that. We can go to where we get gold Mario, but we've really gone through it pretty well. Yeah, uh, we could go through every single track and like mm-hmm. get all of the stars for each one. But yeah, we don't need to be that tedious about it. We already know who's the best. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been playing. They they re released episode Star Wars uh, Racer. They removed the episode one part, which I think is stupid, but whatever. Uh, I've been playing that like in any free time that I have. Because that, that's another one where it's just so classic. No game just gives you that sense of speed the way that game does. It's so yeah. brilliant. Uh, but anyway, so you'd give both of these a 10 out of 10? Jeez, <laughs> um, well, don't put words in my mouth here. Well, I'm, I'm asking. Uh, well, I, I think for people who like strategy games, mm-hmm. uh, they, they definitely... It, Roller Coaster Tycoon maybe like a nine out of ten, but Age of Empires definitely ten out of ten. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I would, I would, I think I'd agree with that. I mean, they still make Roller Roller Coaster Tycoon games. There's one for the Switch. Uh, you know, it's a franchise that hasn't died. Age of Empires still. I don't think we're ever going to get an Age of Empires four, or at least it'll be a very long time before we do. But uh, why? When people are just playing Age of Empires two still, you know? Yeah. There's, there's no point to it. Um, so yeah. Okay. Well, I think we've been going for almost three hours on this episode. Wow. <laughs> it's too bad. We don't have time for more segments. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll leave people with this. Here's something that is absolutely a 10 out of 10. I got, I, I'm not putting words in Ellen's mouth. This is exactly what she said. 
there's a movie that you can check out, and Ellen and I will review this at some point. And that movie is Brazil from 1985 by Terry Gilliam. 10 out of 10? Definitely. Definitely a 10 out of 10. I loved it. Well, I, I loved it and hated it. Yep. Dark comedy, dystopian, sci-fi future. Got to check it out. Totally worth your time. We'll review it and go into a deeper dive, but it will make more sense if you see the movie. The the really long version, the one that's like two hours, two and a half hours. Two and a half hours. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure you see that. But Brazil, Terry Gilliam, 1985, 10 out of 10. Check it out. So, Ellen, as always, it's so much fun to have you on the show. It's so much fun to be on. It lightens the mood when you get on. (laughs) We get to talk about sex. Yeah. How can you go wrong? And video games. And video games. How about we? I don't know. Can we do both? Oh, we've never tried. All right. Now we've got a challenge to do. So we'll wrap this show up. And uh, (laughs) this is going to be interesting. Uh, We will see all of you. Thank you for listening to Sovereign Tech, an Osiris One production. Now go out there and make some trouble. <laughs>